Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. We're a little short this week. I'm going to kick it over first to Spartan Grown, or uh, not Spartan Grown, usually Spartan Grown, but first, Dr. MJ. Hey, I will be first today. Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. It looks like it's just the, the core group. Actually, the core group's not even here, but, you know, a few of the core group are here, so... Fun show. Jack. I will uh, say that Spartan Grown is feeling a little under the weather since I mentioned him already, and he won't be joining us this week. And I believe uh, Kyle Breeder is busy with work, and one other was uh, sick as well. So I uh, hope everybody out there is feeling well and taking care of themselves. But next up, and uh, last, who's currently with us, we've got Matthew Gates. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I have a few things prepared, actually. Uh, we could potentially go to, but um, I look forward to talking with the chat as always. This is Matthew Gates, IPM specialist, uh, pest mitigation and all that sort of a thing. So look forward to talking. I guess if you do have something prepared while we wait for chat questions, you could uh, start it off. I know Brandon Russ had mentioned that he had something, but I think he might be one of the others who's under the weather as well. I need to go back to my Instagram and uh, check out, you know, running around, getting everything ready. Around. I don't know if that's what it's getting everybody this, this time. RSV flu. I mean, there's yeah. like a bunch of stuff going around. The thing that's been going around for the last few years is still going around. And yeah, so we've got a whole bunch of different things, but good reminder to wash your hands and uh, maybe keep distant from people that you don't know too much. And uh, I don't know. I think those are good, good habits for any avoiding illness in general. But that being said, uh, Matthew, do you want to go ahead and uh, start us off? Well, yeah, I do. Um, it's a paper that uh, is actually in, in my file here. I just have to get to it, I suppose. Noah the about... is also under the weather, sorry. While you uh, pull it up. I oh, let yeah. the chat know that Noah will not be making it tonight either. He's uh, feeling a little under the weather as well. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can manage a crowd. Um, basically, <laughs> uh, this is a paper about something very interesting. I did post on Instagram today. So if if you saw my post, then you know what it's about people on the internet. But um, it's a very interesting paper. It's about how um, spider mites have evolved to avoid caterpillars because on that voracious train of herbivory, uh, if they don't get out of the way, they're going to get munched. Uh, believe it or not. So um, they were able to find some extract from uh, very, not extract, but traces. They're very careful about the way they use it, traces. Um, but uh, here, let me just use the search. It's not coming up. That is really weird because I did just uh, download this. Well, if we want to take a question or something from chat, you know, um, I rescind my... Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'll I'll shout out some of the great people. We've got the Jeff Rowe 42069, Collective Mary Jane, Rob Champ, Crispy Wannabe, one of our regulars and uh, all-time favorites. Obviously, uh, Smart Poker is probably there. Um, my chat is not updating right now, but oh, I'm scrolling Smart up. Smart Poker's there. Yep. A lot of good people with us already. Indeed. Give us your questions, guys. This is a Q&A growing with my fellow growers, but we'll fill in the time. Chilbert UK says cheers. Always uh, thankful for everyone showing up. I appreciate Chilbert. Seen him on some other shows and uh, always appreciate seeing him in our chat. 
good dude in the UK and uh, lots of great people over there. Unfortunately, having to kind of keep their heads down a little bit more than most of us, but uh, they're still fighting the good fight and growing the good plant and doing a hell of a job with it. So hats off to them. And uh, unfortunately, not masks off. Uh, work sometimes comes on with like a Halloween mask, even when it's not Halloween, so that he could uh, at least be on camera without showing his face. So uh, great dude. Shilbert there and lots of great people in the chat, but Matthew, it looks like I am now seeing your article showing up on the screen. So take it away. Yeah. So this is interesting. Um, this it is important to say this is a preprint. This is out of Kyoto university. Um, so this is a pre uh, preprint. So like we said in our last analysis, you know, you gotta really, you gotta see the, uh, the context of the paper, right? Um, it'll allow you to understand things like, well, it's coming out of a predatory journal or, you know, um, other sorts of things like that sort of, sort of guide that. So here's a preprint. It needs to be reviewed more extensively. And I'm sure Dr. Cook has some impressions about that. Yeah, yeah. sometimes preprints are already through the peer review process and other times they're not. So you don't really need, no necessarily, but it's always good that it's been disclosed. I mean, all you can do is take that with, uh, okay, this is a preliminary report. And, you know, if you were going to change maybe your operating procedures about something, you'd wait to, to see a, a final report. You know, yeah. important things sometimes get changed in that peer review process because, you know, you send your, your analysis to other people that have been doing this for, you know, decades. It's their career or whatever. They have interesting insights, new ways to potentially interpret your data. Um, and often those rewrites of subsequent drafts in that peer review process is, you know, fairly significant and may really change some of the conclusions. So, you know, that's all fair game in, a, in something like this. I think that's very well said. Um, so, yeah, so this paper basically depicts how two species of spider mites here. We got Tetranicus kanzawai and uh, our old friend Tetranicus urtici, which is the one that you're probably familiar with, the two-spot spider mite. That's what most people deal with. Screw those um, guys. Yeah, seriously. So so these two, they're very, I mean, they say in the first sentence, they say that these spider mites are very small and they can so incidentally be consumed along with the food plant from other, um, in this case, Lepidoterran or moth larvae, uh, hereafter caterpillars, right? So I looked at four different um, species here uh, I don't necessarily need to go into the details of that. I'm going to try to uh, be disciplined here. They do um, talk about this as if it is uh, intragill predation, which is an interesting ecological phenomenon. You've probably, you're probably familiar with it, even if you don't know the name for this behavior, but it's competition between two organisms that fight for the same resource. And a lot of times it's lethal. And a lot of times um, the most simplest way to do it is just eat the other one. <laughs> you either eat their young or you you kill them and and scavenge them you know nature is very um capricious so anyways so this is kind of like that right if the plant isn't being beleaguered by the spider mites then there's more plants for the caterpillars see they're not on a they're not on a evil hell-bent mission to rob you of your um your plants what they're trying to do is just eat and survive and if they could do it with less food or if they could have more food available, then that's gonna be better for them. And so traits that get adapted to this. And similar to the spider mites, same thing. They um, have evolved to avoid them. The ones that don't avoid them, well, maybe they don't pass on <laughs> as much as the other ones. So over time, the things that allow them to do this sort of a thing become uh, you know, more common in the overall population. 
so that's just sort of an interesting thing. That's basically it in a nutshell, to be honest. Um, and so down here we have some. Any applications of this? Any way we could like sort of deploy caterpillars to ward off spider mites in our gardens? Is there any? I mean, obviously, yes. there's downsides yes, to that. Particularly, right? partic well, particularly in a deconstructed way, yeah. You could not have them be alive. You could, in fact, change them from a solid to a liquid, and maybe you would be able to do something like with a crude extract. Um, okay, yeah. So being aware that they were going to avoid that, so you could spray the plants with something that they'll avoid. Yeah. So and 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 I also I do want to uh, to bring it up that like yeah they do they I looked I very thoroughly looked through this paper I didn't find them saying exactly what substance I was very curious I would definitely have shared that um, mm. and also how so the, so it seems like their use of the word trace is very appropriate here you know it's probably something from the frass you know the, the right. spider mite fecal matter um, there's probably other excretions that happen on such a sort of a micro micrological scale that we're not really you know able to sort of visually or detect otherwise um but it's there and apparently it lasts for a few days and that's not very long and you know in my experience products that are um described as like repellents are typically not very effective and i'm not talking about like for like mosquitoes or ticks or things like this i mean in agricultural sense right um and that's usually because it's way more, it's, it's like, why would you, it's like a martial arts match. Like, why would you start with your weakest attack? Like, this isn't a TV show. Like, you you go for the win. You know, you want to use the most effective, best thing. And usually that's going to be something that's going to be lethal, not something that's right. just going to war them away because they'll just come back, right? So I just, uh, I see it a lot and I just want to I mean, address it, that. You know, I guess there might be a bioresistance argument to, to use a repellent instead of a lethal thing you know the, That's a really the good idea point. Of, um you know the the pest population may not develop resistance as quickly or it may still be in their interest to practice the avoidance behavior where you can more selective you know you'd, you'd be selecting for resistance to the lethal measure i mean that's happened a lot right where things that used to be lethal the, the pests are no longer bothered by absolutely and sometimes it only takes a few seasons or a couple of years um, I, I remember a, a resistance scare for a compound used for powdery mildew in Gerbera and they like, they like sent their chemists down. They're like, Hey, let's take this really seriously and take some samples. And, and it, and it wasn't, it was because the sprayers didn't spray very well, okay. but they took it seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, disease resistance could be really bad to some of those things. So and that's always been one of the concerns with some of the ways that they use, you know, genetically modified pesticides, um, yeah. like the BT crops, that whether that was just going to sort of such broad scale use of it was going to basically be breeding for resistance. Definitely. And also with the repellent too, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people who know about these sort of interactions know that plants can release some volatiles that will attract some predators and other sorts of, you know, will essentially be net good guys for the plant. But um, these predators, these parasites, um, these organisms, they can become desensitized in this cacophony of volatiles. You know, we can detect what we can detect, but it's certainly not the full range of things going on um, aromatically and otherwise chemically. So like, that's another reason why a repellent is just kind of like not very useful. Like it's got a lot of, um, you know, it's just not very 
persistent, not very penetrative, not very, like you're saying, but even with things that are lethal, you know, you still have, you want to use them well. And, and to that point, right. um, I know that some, some places will argue to use a crop that is not, you know, if, in the case of like GMO, for example, that they, that they aren't that way, or simply if you're using for pesticide resistance, just not spray certain parts of your field. You know, which sounds really crazy to some. The, the regions of refuge, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does seem kind of crazy to be a farmer that's growing crops for the insects that you don't want. I know, right? But it's kind I've of. I've talked like to for... farmers about that. They're like, "This is nuts." I mean, <laughs> yeah, you want me to grow a whole row of crops just for the the bad insects that we're trying to kill? Uh -huh. I know it's so, but it's, but really, you're playing like you're playing like you know ecology ecologists like you know you're playing like a a, a creative role and and you know that's kind of where i thought yeah. sort of, a lot yeah, of them like to just play like... farmer i think <laughs> yeah sometimes yeah. you do <laughs> but when you think about the the effect on sort of from an evolutionary perspective from like a population's perspective a, a repellent the the organisms that are successfully evaded with that repellent can go on to reproduce the next generation but exactly with the pesticide the the organisms that are successfully evaded by that don't go on to create the next generation so it really quickly sort of selects for resistance to that in, in a way that repellents are more sort of you know have potential to have a longer term effect before anything like that could develop because it's in I yeah i think they would be i think you could use them as like i think that the best use of something like this i've seen like capsaicin oil um as an by independently but also in tandem with other um products have and for some insects and i guess other pests potentially you can use this as like a almost like tear gas is used as like a um a uh motivator to move into another location from the place right. that it's applied to and that can make them more vulnerable especially if they like to hide out in little nooks and crannies so maybe it increases the effect of coverage. So I, in that way, I could see how a, um, a repellent could maybe be a disruptor. But like you say, you know, independently, just doesn't just doesn't make sense from a from all scales, from genetic to eco ecological, right? Brandon um, Russ jumped in about five or ten minutes ago, and he's been uh, quietly waiting to get introduced. And oh, okay. I remember he's uh, had a few stories in the past, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it might be specifically with spider mites about how maybe him or uh, some of his buddies in the you know pre-legalization days were growing and they used some chemicals on spider mites and they killed off you know the majority of them but the ones that were kept alive were like kind of super spider mites if i'm remembering correctly but brandon welcome in let the people uh, know where they can find you and share a little bit about those experiences sure my name's brandon russ you can find me on instagram at russ.brandon make sure that you're following the right account because there's lots of scammers and you can also check out bokashi earthworks bokashi earthworks.com all your microbes amendments fertilizers and we are still having our 25 percent off sale until tuesday um yeah so i've never really had a issue with spider mites uh in cultivation uh luckily my whole career i've never had an infestation um but i have had i have seen instances where people make basically super mites where they will use chemical uh insecticides continuously uh and not in the proper manner that they're supposed to be utilized and so they are not able to eliminate the problem and what ends up happening is it uh 
it it it, a, it built the insects seem to build immunity to these types of poisons over longer periods of time until the point where um, nothing is really effective, even when they're uh, the products are being applied properly. Oh yeah, um, there's also this effect like a hormoligosis, where something that's supposed to be lethal isn't. And, you know, uh, quickly increases things like fecundity or reproductive rate and that kind of stuff. And spider mice are better at it than a lot of other uh, herbivorous arthropods. Yeah. Um, in my experience, spider mites are pretty easy to get rid of uh, if you're already doing your maintenance. The, the things you, I have only ever seen other people's gardens get greatly out of control from just extreme neglect i mean because i, I agree it, with that it, it is it is one of those things where you can physically see them i could understand if you were having something like hemp russet mite which takes extreme magnification to be able to see them and then you need to know where on the plant to be looking at and then you need to be knowing what you're actually looking for so it can be difficult but when you're talking about an insect that you can visually see with your eye um when it comes down to it that's just neglect you know, and spider mites are really easy to get rid of. There are so many options from horticultural oils. There's uh, wettable sulfur. There's beneficial insects. Uh, there's essential oils. There's, you know, alcohol products. There's like the, the list goes on and, you know, physical removal, even just spraying down your plant can, can you know, spray them off, you know, if you're in an outdoor setting and stuff. So there's a lot of things that can be done. Uh, and it's really just, uh, I guess, not taking proper precautions. I got to push be- back on this, man. It's like the fourth time you've you've basically dragged growers over the coals for getting spider mites. I don't think it's necessarily their faults. I know a lot of growers that end up with spider no, I'm not mites saying that it- then have to struggle. I think quite you know when it gets to, really to start- bad. Yeah, I'm yeah. Talking, I got. I'm yeah. talking about like full blown outbreaks, like when yeah. you right the types of stuff. I understand, like, but I even before that in. point, it can be a battle to get back from them. I mean, even if you're that, trying that to I do, depends on on what size operation you're in, and it depends on sort of you know how dense your plants are, what stage of growth they're at. Um, a, a lot of things can make the battle with spider mites pretty pretty profound so if they're already it's not the toughest stuff. but it, it's it's not sort of like you know if you can't manage this you're an idiot thing either so i just oh, want to i definitely agree bit. with that i got yeah, some clones I, from a nursery and i'm convinced that they were already being treated with some of the things that i had used i tried sulfur i tried um the amazing dr zymes and i tried um another it was like an essential oil product from humboldt um it smells really good i can't think of the name of it right now um Lost Coast Plant Therapy. Tried all three of them in rotation and I had them isolated. They were in a separate area. I never trust clones, especially when they're from a nursery. So this wasn't even the first time that I've gotten issues. So I was just like, all right, you know, I kind of treat them all like they're infected already and put them through the process. And they still, with all three of those things, like every couple of days, they still got to the point of making webs. And uh, it's just certain ones are a lot more. I, Matthew said fecundity. I think the temperature really <laughs> plays a big role in that. So the amount that they yeah. can breed and reproduce, They're, if it's if it's hot and humid, um, and the ideal environment for like your grow, it's also oftentimes the ideal environment for spider mites to reproduce. And on top of that, like there is a seasonality to it for a lot of people or for a lot of places rather. Like I would say, like for example, I I I I would agree that 
when I have seen, I mean, I've encountered it where somebody has got like the silk is like over the leaves, like spider mice will make silk under the leaves, like as little nests um, and that sort of a thing. And actually I'm going to, oh, did you take it away? Good. Um, you know, but like they'll, they'll tell me to my face, look me in the eye and say, oh, I look at these plants all the time. No, dude, this was like, this was maybe more than a month of like unchallenged problem. However, getting spider mites and also having a persistent population, I often call, in fact, I often call it a, a persistent low pressure situation. That's super common, all kinds of crops. And Just there and annoying. They're an annoying enough to cause yeah. problems, especially with the early clone that was yeah. gift, like, you know, I was, I got the clone, it was told it was clean. Like I'm always told that, right? And then, so I put it into my little quarantine area and I treated it and I treated it. And I was just like, you know what, man? it's not even worth the fucking effort like to they were so resistant and it was causing me so much stress and i had, I had good healthy seeds growing in a chamber next to it i'm like i'm just gonna kill these and toss them fuck it yeah i've got, a, I've got go. a bunch of other shit going on and i didn't need them it was like i was curious about it it was an option to check out and it showed me who that person was and not to trust them and, and not they're to say pernicious that, like, yeah they're pernicious spider mice well don't happen well, to any clone dispensary or whatever but I, i'll say this i've gotten clones twice from friends that are home growers and they're clean. I got clones mm -hmm. twice from uh, nurseries here in San Diego, and both times, once got root aphids. The other time, I got the oh. most resistant spider mites that I've ever seen because I had fought spider mites literally that same year with my barber and took them out, no problem. Lost coast plant therapy and uh, followed up with some predators, and we wiped them out and had no issues. But the uh, yeah, it was different stages of growth and things like that. But just the point to be made, I guess. Uh, always quarantine your clones no matter where you're getting i don't care if it's from your mom or your best friend it's always a good idea to set them in a separate area and grow them out for a few weeks until you can really check them and, and check them their whole entire time a lot of people like spartan i think would recommend to even hit them with sulfur right off the bat like you can sulfur dunk them or sulfur them right when they go into the uh, quarantine area just as a basic start because it's going to probably benefit the plant and prevent maybe some molds mildews and kills off a lot of common pests that you will see yeah, they're very persistent. They're insidious in that way. And they feed on all 4,000. 4,000 was the, was the grand champion amount of different species that spider mites in particular. Have been, so two spot spider mites have been documented on. Different species of plants is what you're saying? 4,000 different yeah, plants? Exactly. Like 4,000, you know, so like that's... that's I see them at Home Depot and Lowe's and shit all the time. Like oh, you yeah. Going through the succulent oh, yeah. section and they, they have... And they've been exposed... They've been exposed to all this bad stuff too, like the really nasty stuff that you shouldn't even be using in like cannabis, right? And so, you know, over time, you know, they have uh, they have years of experience dealing with the really nasty stuff. So, so some of the stuff that we would even use nowadays could be, um, you know, less effective. And, you know, even if it's coming from a natural plant and that sort of a thing, and and they suppress plant immune system, and yeah, they just they got a lot of tricks up uh, up their sleeves. Um, more than most, more than most. I have a really in-depth presentation that we could go over if we need a topic, but I think- We have three questions good. and it is chat Q&A. So I want there to definitely get to the questions that we've got um, loaded up. If uh, people are interested though, they should definitely check out Xenthanol's YouTube channel because I have checked in the out chat. those. And even before I had spider mites, I knew several options to fight them because I'd already watched it. I already knew what they looked like. I already knew what the stippling in the leaves looked like because I'd seen it. It's nice to be able to be like, oh, I've seen this already and this is what it might be. And then be able to confirm it once you actually see a little bit more of the details and know exactly how to fight it and not have to like rip your hair out. And think like, oh, I have to burn my whole entire grow down. A lot of people will literally 
nuke their grow with toxic chemicals that they don't necessarily need to. I've seen there's a lot more reasonable responses, whether it's a predator mite or a, you know not so noxious uh, pesticide like sulfur if you're in veg, for example, um, or some of the other things like I, I have tried Lost Coast Plant Therapy with success uh, combined with a follow-up of predators. And I think that the amazing Dr. Zymes can also be good, but I don't think that either or any of them are 100% effective on their own. I think that usually a combination of things is going to be most effective and um, reapplying when necessary, making sure that you're crop scouting and monitoring the population, seeing if it's actually going down, seeing when the things are effective and when they're not effective and uh, trying to at least get an understanding of where your grow is at because what works for one might not work for others. And like Matthew's said in the past, like neem, for example, people will say like, oh, use neem or neem oil. But there's like a thousand neem oils out there and all of them have different levels of azadiractin. All of them have different levels of maybe uh, subtle amounts of pesticides or other things that are in there that you don't even know about. So um, be very careful with how you source your things and uh, realize that not every single product that has a, a certain name is the same. So um, there's definitely some due diligence when it comes to IPM. Well said. We have some uh, questions, though, that I would like to get into because uh, I wrote chat Q&A on the thing, so I don't want to bait and switch the people. Indeed. They, they came, and uh, Georgia Grow Guy was the first one who uh, said, is there a good general insect ID and disease ID poster slash chart you would recommend? And that was aimed at Matthew. Yeah, do you own a dictionary or a dictionary-like shelving? Because there's all kinds of things out there that you might be dealing with, and I think the best answer to that question is um i mean you could check out some of the really big ones for cannabis on my youtube channel or on the future cannabis project where i made presentations like that the xenthanol ipm series um on top of that there are books that you could buy um but the real the issue is that i don't know any specifically for cannabis um i don't know any like um examples that will probably be be good for all parts of the world, right? You know, usually a lot of like um, pest books like this tend to be uh, geographically oriented. So like Southwest or Northeast North America or something like this. Um, but there are, there, there are definitely places that you can find website resources and things like that. Uh, it's been around enough that um, there are- that much are, in cannabis, Matthew? Are, are different cannabis farmers having different pest issues based on sort of, you know, traditional agricultural zones and, and maybe what other crops or pests might be growing around them? Do you, do you see much of a regional, much regionality? I just haven't thought about that as specific as it is for a lot of other crops. I see some of it. And I guess I'm being kind of provisional here because that is a very good question to ask. Because the other thing that I like to say a lot, which I also find very valid, is that a lot of the pests typically of cannabis are really common agricultural pests. But like, you know, again, saying that is, I'm really glossing over a lot when I say that because different kinds of crops and all that. Right. Like two I saw a leaf hopper the other day on the street. Like I was walking, I was like, I, I recognize this from Zenthanol YouTube videos, but <laughs> it's out here, obviously on a non-cannabis crop. It was oh, on the sidewalk. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the sidewalk yeah. coming off. I was like, holy shit, that's like a, a kind of a beautiful, larger bug. But mm -hmm. uh, take it home with you. I walked right past <laughs> you. It it kept going. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like so spider mites, uh, you know, like I think that mostly like and there's a lot of info on all of the pests that exist already. And I think that a good amount, not all, can be extrapolated for cannabis. So I don't want to knock that. Like, if you do have that experience, it's actually incredibly valuable 
if you're somebody who farms or who's grown plants that are not cannabis, you know, you'll have a lot of that, um, that experience, which would be very helpful, very key. But I guess what I'm really trying to guard against is just a complacency as always, um, because there's also going to be organisms that we don't typically see. Like, for example, like grasshoppers, for example, I feel are, um, and I don't have a lot of experience with them. So again, it's sort of provisional, but I do feel like, you know, I don't really get that as much in California. Some, but like, I think it's much more common Midwest, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. There are bigger pests there because of the the agricultural crops that are grown out there in the first place and And, sort of the proximity to a lot of people. And it makes sense. It's interesting thought. So non-cannabis pests are even different region to region. Like a lot of people are now in Thailand with the legalization happening over there, Uh, even like people here from the States and I'm in touch with a couple of them. And I guess there are 20 different poisonous snakes over there. So when they're cultivating, they have to look out for more things than maybe some people around here would. And it's a different type of pest but that could be, you know, literally deadly. So um, something to consider. And I'm sure they have lots of different insects and things over there as well. So it's definitely challenging because you might see like a book that's titled with like a fancy label, like uh, cannabis ethnobotany and whatever. And it's got all, all right. these things that says it's going to describe A to Z, all plant pest and disease that can impact cannabis. But like Matthew is saying, a lot of the stuff is probably going to be regional and um, it's good to know what is going to be most likely in your region. Like, I've right. seen the non-cannabis pests become cannabis pests and certain ones that you predicted that like hadn't been seen on cannabis uh, show up on cannabis later on. So it's uh, only a matter of time, I guess, with certain pests that they will. Hey, I want to shout out Brian for 20 p.m. in the chat. I agree that there the need is there. And I've I've basically tried to, to pitch this to, to Matthew before, like. You know, we need a good guide that people can just come to and be like, that's the symptoms that I have. Okay, it's probably this pest. And, um, you know, it sounds like that's what what people are looking for, some sort of insect ID. I know it's it's a big ask in a certain sense, but um, I definitely think that the interest is there from the community. And I think Matthew Gates would be like the perfect guy to try to put something like that together. I appreciate the warm uh, wishes, and I think that you are right. I have I have a um, I have a document that I update um, with like new pest information, that sort of thing that is available um, uh, through my Patreon. But the thing about it is that I've made a lot of articles and I've written a lot about these things, and I think you're motivating me to really just collect that and a lot of additional work and really turn it into a, a good reference. I want to make sure that it would be up to my own standards. In some cases, the data just doesn't exist um, and I can't be everywhere. But I do think um, that it would be a really cool idea, especially with Dr. Coco. And I think we've talked about this too. Yeah, I'm I'm in. I'll help you get it together. Yeah. yeah. And also, well, no, and also, do you remember um, the, 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 the map system? Oh, or the idea that we we could have references like, oh, we found a lot of these pests, like not like a not like something very specific. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, and have people be able area. to geolocate it. Yeah, yep. spider mites in this area, and we're seeing it see like like and marrying it with a northeast, lot of southwest, etc. Yeah, report things in real time. I would That'd be cool. I think that I think that would be really. I would be incredibly stoked to work on. Uh, we could we could work to that with developers too. That you know it, it sort of logs uh, people that came that were searching for spider mites, and y- you know you could do that based on their their uh, 
IP service or IP address, what state they were in or what area they were in, whatever, for simple sort of geolocating things to be able to, to do some epidemiological stuff. Um, yeah, I think that that would be interesting. I'd love to I see more of it. So cool. I see a base level in Humboldt and um, the Northern California counties. I follow a lot of growers up there and they'll yeah. say, hey, I got my first spider mites, like heads up, get your predators ready, get your sprays ready. Like if you're on this side of the mountain, look out for thrips or look out for, uh, you know, whatever it is. So people are, at least in my opinion, like the people that are trying to help their community out are yeah. sharing that information and posting it as soon as they know. So I think it'd be can... really interesting. And you definitely start to see things like everybody from a certain clone dispensary is getting spider mites. I mean, yeah. you'd see that pretty quickly. And that kind of epidemiological stuff that we don't often have access to. Uh, yeah, it would be great to have. I think you'd be able to recognize where problems were coming from in a way that we can't right now, whether that's sort of regionally or different pests coming through or whatever, or just different players, different actors in this space, like, you know, a particular virus or, or you know, pests coming out of a particular breeder. Smoke your own, ask a pertinent question. Does anyone know what happened to Dark Heart Nursery in Cali? Can't find them on the interweb anymore, which I haven't really? checked to follow that up, but uh, they were pretty big. And if that is the case, then maybe they're in some legal issues because now that plants are track and traceable, if they are selling plants that had hop latent viroid and they're damaging people's growth, they're legally accountable for lawsuits from the gardeners and cultivators. From my understanding, unless they signed contracts that said... Um, we're not accountable for that or that they guaranteed plants are clean or didn't like have any claims on those types of things. I'm not a legal expert on this by any means, but I think that once you get into the legal business, if you're uh, giving people plants and propagative material, if you do cause damage, damages and things like that to their cultivation setting, then you might be able to be found liable, especially if they can uh, trace it genetically through like the clone stock and um like, especially if you're already known for it, like they're unfortunately kind of known for spreading hoplite and viroid and then trying to sell people the solution. Oh, the American one's jumping in. I will definitely let him in in here. And uh, yeah. I am gotta... sitting in front of the website where okay. it is letting me know that every year, more than 400 licensed cultivators across California trust Dark Heart Nursery to start their crop cycle. So I guess they're still around. I had not heard this. So I'm curious what they meant. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, smoke your own. If you could follow up, maybe you just weren't able to find them on the interweb, but we can get to the American One's introduction now that he is here with us live. Welcome, the American One. Hello, Jack Panel, everyone in chat. Sorry for my tardiness, but yes, my uh, I was stuck in the garden. I didn't even realize, so I'm glad to be here. I'm the American One, and uh, yeah, good to see everybody. Well, I feel like uh, we had a little misunderstanding with the last question, so hopefully... Uh, Dark Heart Nursery, if they are still operating, is uh, doing everything a little bit better nowadays because uh, I knew that they did have issues with that. And that would have been my only uh, thought if they had disappeared kind of overnight, that that could have been one of the reasons. And kind of just a forewarning and, and thought for anybody who is putting clones out there to uh, do your due diligence because I, I do think that even if it hadn't happened yet, I think that people will be held accountable for these types of things. And I think I saw Doc nodding his head earlier when I was talking about yeah. like agriculture in general that when you do that type of thing, and Matthew knows as well, uh, whether it's like an illegal pesticide that was sprayed on something or uh, actual pathogen or pest, you can be held accountable for selling somebody material that is not up to the standard that it's supposed to be. And here's the thing that a lot of cannabis growers don't think about, and I don't want to, you know, be a Debbie Downer, but like, uh, you're not the only crop. 
And there are, like I just said, right, lots of pests uh, are pests of cannabis and many other things. And some of those are quarantine pests that if they get into a place, like we talked a few sessions ago about hop powder mildew, you know, they had to do a lot to get rid of it. And they, and they control the movement of hop into that state and it, for that reason. So I wouldn't be surprised if similar restrictions occur with cannabis, potentially, if there is such a conflation. And I think, I believe there might be. Good point. We had a question for Dr. MJ. I'm not sure if you answered it in the chat, but I always love to uh, answer them for the podcast. Earlier, Artman asked, Dr. Coco, if one uses frequent fertigation like I do 24 times a day, do you think the EC should be lowered? I had some leaf burn. Um, first of all, 24 times a day is a lot. Um, it's like, it's like really a lot. I'm, I'm sort of tempted to think that you're probably doing it once an hour, like every hour, um, which isn't ideal in terms of the distribution of, of water. Um, plants under high frequency fertigation, they do need to be watered during the lights out, but not as frequently as you're watering during the lights on. So if you are just sort of powering through, if anything, you're sort of overwatering during lights off. I, I mean, you know, I'd be curious as to what size pots these are in. Um, I imagine pretty small pots. And certainly the smaller pot would justify the higher frequency. Um, but no, to, to, to get at your base question, which is should you lower the EC because you're watering more frequently? No, you're not actually giving more water to the plants. The, you're just giving it more frequently. Um, the actual amount of water that it's able to be held in the media isn't really going to change. The actual amount of water that the plant's going to take up really isn't going to be able to change. You might be ending up with sort of excessive runoff. But other than that, you know, whether you're watering once a day or whether you're watering, you know, 24 times a day, you're going to be watering about the same amount of water. So there's no reason to sort of reduce the, the electrical conductivity. I mean, if the EC is too high to begin with, that that's a thing but i assume that it's not coming from art man so um no art man i would look at something else maybe if it was a really small container any kind of dry back might have done that um there might be other things it sounds like you're pushing at some limits and i would just say i don't i don't necessarily think 24 times a day is necessary but you get good growth that that's that's a lot though I think the early answer. Does anybody else have any thoughts there for Artman? Not I. I think Doc thoroughly covered it. I think um, just to reference like what you are personally doing, if I remember correctly, I think you were doing like something like five times a day or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I'll go higher than that. You know, when I do the the party cup grows, I try to go higher than that. I'll do like 12 times a day or something. Um the frequency is twice as high during the lights on period as it is during the lights off period, though. So, you know, if it's three hours in between events when lights are on, it'll be six hours in between events when lights are off. Um, you know, if you end up just going on a, on a consistent basis, like every hour like that, um, 
you just end up with excessive runoff during the the dark period. Um, it's not gonna necessarily hurt the plant. I, I assume Artman is growing in cocoa with perlite, reasonable size containers. He's potting up. He's growing healthy plants. Um, he's a, a cocoa for cannabis regular. So I, I'm sort of taking some of those things for granted in answering this question. I think it's always good just to, uh, you know, go through the important kind of yeah steps of the process for the growers out there who maybe aren't on cocoa for cannabis yet. If you're growing in cocoa, definitely check it out. And even if you're not, go over there and check it out because they have uh, grow alongs for all different types of cultivation, uh, whether yeah. it's plant training or different mediums. And uh, sometimes they even do like lots of everybody grows the same seed and things like that. So lots of fun to be had over there and great information as well. So definitely check out cocoforcannabis.com. Um, well, thank but, you for that plug. Absolutely. It, it's, um, it's and worth yeah, going to. I see a lot of growers growing fire yeah. on there. They, What's that? Something about the recipe. I see a lot of people growing really fire plants over there so and you do like the i think weekly plants of the week from cocoa for cannabis yeah and uh it shows that there's a lot of people that know what they're doing and following that recipe are getting good results so if people are not having those results maybe moving towards more of a system like somebody else is doing because like you were saying solo cup 12 times a day uh solo cup i think is usually the smallest people are going to grow in so doubling that with the 24 times a day i think he's probably doing like you're saying maybe just uh out of convenience maybe his timer is the convenience is to do it every hour and like you're saying during lights off uh, it's essentially the interval twice as twice as wet because the light isn't on to help the plants uptake the water or evaporate any of it so things like that it's uh, not like in cocoa you're going to get soggy roots or anything but uh i think that it's just maybe excess water usage i'm reading really his his through. chat and he's saying it's not cocoa sorry art man it's a large rcdw tray so in what in dwc reverse dwc so um recirculating yeah so i guess he's by when he says feeding it 24 times a day he's exchanging the water 24 times a day yeah i'm very confused about what that would mean exactly so with like rdwc there's like yeah the c is just connected. in the wrong place that's my problem with that I'm i see that's a typo. <laughs> uh, okay rdwc yeah, so essentially, like, there's a bunch of brands out there that have these current culture H2, I think, is probably one of the better ones. And there's, like, Rorilla, which is, like, a more affordable. It's, like, a bunch of five-gallon buckets that are connected with, like, plumbing, piping, right. and tubing. And essentially, you've got the plants in buckets, and then you've got a reservoir separately. Right. And they have pipes that run a solution from plant to plant to plant back to a res, and they're exchanging water at a certain Exactly. So even more so now, I mean, and and that is kind of the, the answer, like DWC can actually tolerate higher electrical conductivity than, than cocoa. Um, and it's nothing to do with it being like less frequent. The roots are always exposed to the water, um, you know, and in an RDWC, the same basic system, you don't have to lower the EC because the roots are getting it more frequently um you just want to sort of keep it in the right range where they can absorb it and if you've done that i would look at just other issues for what caused your your tip burn or your your leaf issue that was causing this in the first place that's a good point because uh yeah dwc can definitely run higher ec without having much issue so it might be um like 
crazy enough lack of nutrient or some other cause like maybe ph is off um in dwc if, if things get out of whack temperature if the water is too warm temperature yeah i'd look at temperature or aeration right away um nutrient element ratio drift so any recirculating system um the the nutrient element ratio so not just the npk but the npk ca mg si all of the ratio of all the elements is going to to change each successive sort of pass through the plants basically um and sometimes that can can drift out or things can even accumulate not probably in this system that they can cause symptoms so there's other issues not just ec i, I would look yeah more at temperature o2 and ner Good points. And I think we definitely uh, did a good job addressing that question. And we've got a bunch from Oil Town Oil, but um, let's see, I think we had one before him. And it was about hash from the Bala Net. Probably mispronouncing that. At Cheap Home Grow. Question. Used pressed hash pucks if using it to spice up can of butter. Do you remove the micron bag or do you cook it as is? Should I be worried about the plastic in the butter from the bag? Cheers. So um, personally, I would try and use a bag that you're not worried about plastic being in. I think a lot of them are like fabric, like a silk or something that wouldn't be bad to cook at a certain temperature. I look at like Rosin Evolution. A lot of their products are food safe, food grade. So you wouldn't have to worry about it uh, depending on where you're getting your bags from. The Micron bags, I would uh, just confirm that they don't have plastic. If, it has, if you're worried about plastic, I take the uh, puck out before putting it in the butter. Um, the other thing you could do is like soak it in uh, either oil, like vegetable oil, coconut oil, uh, or alcohol and make like an RSO from it. I know Spartan Grown in the past has mentioned that some of his favorite um, RSO came from soaking the pressed pucks from people that made uh, essentially flour rosin. You're left over with all these little pucks essentially. And they're kind of like, some people even eat them. They're like decarbed. So you can eat it and it's kind of like crispy. Um, and definitely has a herb taste or whatever people will crunch it up and put it on top of food and things like that but there's a lot of things that can be done with it i'm curious if the rest of the panel has thoughts on what to do with the leftover little uh, pressed flower pucks when you're making hash rosin or flour rosin i feel like spartan would have had yeah spartan was the man for that one but I had never had a press, but yeah, I think everything you said is pretty spot on. But food safe doesn't mean melting safe, which might be an issue, but I don't think so either. Well, food safe is like turkey uh, bags, for example. They can go to like cooking temperature. You can get it up to 400 right. degrees to cook a turkey. So as long as you're cooking a butter at like a food temperature, if you're using a turkey bag or whatever, like with that, it's going to be safe, like sous vide or whatever. There's a bunch of different ways to uh, right, right. infuse Um cannabis product getting it to temperature but you don't want to use like plastic that has bpa in it for example like that's just not going to be healthy at all you know and it shouldn't be in your right, product right. from the first place but um yeah definitely look at where you sourced your rosin press bags from and see what they're made from and if you can separate it it might be too difficult it sounds like to separate it if maybe that's why you're asking um if you can just cook it to make it simpler but yeah spartans i've remembered in the past he said he would get like a full bag like a gallon bag freezer bag and then just fill it full of alcohol with the pucks in there and then essentially drain it off and make rso with that and he said it was always very high quality and people would for a while it was like how people threw out um trim 
before they realize they can make hash with it. And certain people, I mean, there's people making hash with trim for hundreds or thousands of years, right? Depending on where you're at. But a lot of modern cultivators are throwing away their trim before they realize they can make good hash with it. And I think the same thing was being done with these little rosin uh, pucks. When people press their flour, got the rosin out, they're like, well, you know, it's done, it's spent. They already got their use out of it. And they weren't thinking, oh, I could get every little last drop out of that plant. And uh, some people are trying to squeeze everything out of it. So props to you, I guess, for being resourceful and getting those last little bits out of it. And um, with that said, I think we've got a bunch of questions from Oil Town Oil that I'd like to get to before we can uh, maybe share the link in about 10, 12 minutes uh, to see if we want anybody to jump in and show off their gardens and ask some questions live. But Oil Town Oil says, any advice for drying? And all of their questions are pretty drying related. So uh, we could go a lot of ways with this, but I'll go around the panel and just get quick tips. So any advice for drying, uh, airflow, smell, or quality problems? We'll start with a box in my bedroom, uh, 55F, so 55 Fahrenheit, and 69RH. Then move back to the tent once all the plants are harvested. And then they follow up and they say, will, oops, I clicked and it scrolled. Okay. Will ceiling fan in my bedroom be enough airflow to circulate through a drying box? And how much airflow should I have drying? I personally would start off and say, I don't think that a ceiling fan above a drying box is going to be enough. I'd worry a little bit about mold or mildew. It depends on your base RH. It sounds like 69%, which is pretty high. And if you're packing the plants in there pretty tight, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. I'd want more airflow. I'd want like a, a box fan on the floor or something shooting air through there. I'd rather air on the side of a little bit more airflow than less. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to overdry it and dry it too fast. And that's going to lead to hay. I've used the herb, herbs now for my last like 10 harvests and for the six of in a row, um, I did it versus 60 degrees and 60% relative humidity in my curador. And I did it versus uh, my hang dry in my tent, which was like anywhere, but like around 70 degrees and like 55 to 65 RH. And every single time the herbs now had the best dried bud. And that's roughly 70 to 75 degrees. And the RH is 55 to 65, but there's constant airflow, like way more airflow than I've ever seen recommended anywhere else. And with that, after it's dried, I jar it. And a week later, it's like perfectly cured. But that being said, a lot of people aren't comfortable with that amount of airflow. Uh, but that, that also said when he's done terpene tests, he'll get like 6% with his herbs now device. Uh, it's got from herbs now. And then he put in a 60 degree agree 60 percent relative humidity for two weeks and you get like 4.5 percent so there was a difference in terpenes but there's been independent people who found the same sim there's been independent people who found different where like they saw a little bit of a drop in terpenes versus the hang dry so i think it really depends on the nug that you test i think the best way to do it would be um maybe that one device that doesn't actually destroy the sample so you could test the same exact nug and uh see like the differences between it uh, in different conditions i guess but you wouldn't be able to try the same nug two different ways, yeah. I guess. How do you try the same nug twice, Jack? Yeah, that, that was my, uh, I was like, wait. But from the the same branch, I guess, would be the the thought. But even then, like. Or it was just the same plant, want, yeah. You want, like, the the branch that has, like, you know, how each side of the stem, there's, like, a sister bud. Yeah. It's, like, They're left kind and right. Copies, yeah. So, yeah. like, you get the top bud and you split that right down the middle. You could even, like, take a knife and chop, section up portions of the bud and yeah. dry it different ways. But. I don't know. I think it'd be fun to get scientific with it and actually see. But just in my personal experience, I don't think that having too much airflow is going to harm you. I do think that having not enough airflow will harm you. If if you get it into a jar, I have a meter. So if it gets, here's my caveat. 
you don't want to over dry it. So I have a meter yeah. and I check constantly. If it gets below 12% um, moisture content, I have a wood moisture meter that sticks a metal pin into the bud. And as soon as I get to 12%, I jar it. If it goes below that, like 10% and under, it feels like really dry. The dispensary bud is usually like three to 5%. It turns into like dust powder. Uh, five to 10%, it's still pretty dry. Like 10 to 12%, it's got that nice stickiness to it. Anything above like 12, I'm not comfortable putting it into a jar personally. But um, yeah, I had a long talk with the Canatrol people. They, they were saying that they, they thought it was more about like water activity than the the moisture percentage per se. But their range was, yeah, I think like 10 to 13% for different cultivars based on sort of moisture activity within the bud. You know, I think the danger with too much airflow is excessive drying. I don't think that you really have too much risk if you're going to be at 55 F 69 RH, but I think you're in, that's risky. I think Jack was on to this too. Like it, it's risky to dry that slow. Like that's really cold and pretty humid for, for drying. So, um, you know, what's the VPD at 55 and 69? I mean, it's going to be vanishingly small. So it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. And when the, the VPD is small, it means that there's not a lot of room for the air to evaporate moisture to, to add more moisture to it, which is what we're hoping that we do. So just to sort of be aware of, of that. I think if you could control one of those, I'd bring the RH down towards 60 um being up towards 70 when you're that cold just seems dangerous to me um even with good airflow it, a lot of growers that i end up talking to are at either drier in their rh or warmer in their temperature usually both and for those growers i just want to reiterate you know too much air movement certainly can be problematic because your buds are already probably drying faster than ideal. A lot of people can't get to, you know, 60 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, or even into the low 60s. And, you know, they might be at like 40% humidity or something. And that's just sort of where they're at for their environment. And they don't have a lot of control over that. Um, in that situation, air, air movement needs to be sort of really closely guarded. I guess my argument in a lot of cases, in, in your case, I'd want excessive air movement to ward off potential danger, but you basically need enough air movement that you don't get microclimates developing that, you know, the, the relative humidity and the temperature are pretty well distributed throughout the entire space. So you don't have areas of high humidity right around the buds and areas of heat higher in the room and areas that are colder, lower in the room and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd say when you first chop it, too, you can let it be a little bit out of range more, let it dry faster, I would think, without hurting a lot. If you don't get yeah. crazy, like, and like, and, and once you get past that point where you're you're not so fearful of bud rot, you could, uh, you know, uh, dial it in even better. Yeah. But yeah, 55 is kind of like, you know, people say 60 and 60. I've been close a bunch of times. I think, yes, I think slow is all right, though. Slow is good. But I think especially when you first uh, chop them, it doesn't hurt to get them drier quicker. Like for I think even Spartan was yeah. preaching that at one point, you know, 
let it, the first two days or something, let it get dry. And then uh, he sets his a little, RH a little more. Yeah, I practice yeah, that. Too. Drop it out yeah, of the RH danger RH zone little. quickly. That that first it's couple like of days when you're in the danger zone, right? Get get the bulk yeah. of the humidity yeah. out there quickly and then slow it way down. Um, take yeah. a lot yeah. more time with that, that latter part of the, the dry. I mean, the plants sort of do that naturally, right? They lose a bunch of their moisture in the beginning, but that's definitely what we want to plan. I agree. Yeah, it's like people lose weight. The fat ones lose weight quick at the beginning, and then it gets harder and harder. It's like it's skinnier. So yeah, <laughs> I'll say this: a lot of people, I think, go into jars too soon, and that causes issues for them with smells, where they start to get like haze and mildewy and nasty smells coming around. You is... be, if you're you're testing your RH in the jars, you should be able to know that you've gone in too soon, pretty pretty quickly. Um, and to the feel too, because like, you know, the outside of the buds will be dry when you're hanging, but if you've gone into the jars too quickly, like an hour after you put them into the jars, the, the buds will be all wet again, basically, right? Because there is a lot of moisture in the middle of the bud. Um, I think sometimes so, when it's subtle, when it's like right on the brink, where if they don't have the RH meter, it's just a little crispy on the outside, but the inside still has enough moisture that when they put, they fill that jar up 100% instead of like 75% and leaving a little bit of air room to like roll them around and, and burp it and move it out. I think you'll get those, and this has happened to me, that one bud, your biggest bud in the whole entire jar has a touch of Bortritis right in the center when you're cracking it open. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck, like, you know, but and it could be in more of the jar that you just don't visually realize it. But, um, it could taint an entire jar really quickly. So my general tendency is to recommend what Doc said, check your RH diligently. A lot of people, unfortunately, though, like myself, I'll get stuff into jars and I've gotten into the habit of I won't get it into a jar until I know for sure it can be in a jar for 12 to 24 hours without me having to pop it. Because if I don't do that, there might be a period of time where I go to work, I have to take care of things and I can't get yeah. to the jar and I get back. And if it's too moist going in, then you could shoot yourself in the foot a little bit but i'd rather get it into jars and not go too far on the dry side too i mean it, it's it, it's a tough battle i think i mean Have you ever I since i moisture? changed to dry trimming though i will say that i just go into jars right after i trim now and i feel that if the bud's dry enough to trim it's dry enough to go into the jars at least that's been the case so far yeah, if you don't overshoot too far on the dry, you could get re-moisture, you know, if you don't get it to that ridiculous spot. And, yeah, I've you know, I've had issues where uh, I had a piece that was too dry. I tried re-moistening it. I put it in the jar, put the lid on it, and I had to come back to that mold, and it was, uh, yeah, that that sucked. So, but, yeah, yeah so... Doc is you got to keep stones. an eye on it when it's in the jar like that, especially, yeah. Keep your eyes on it. The first couple of days yeah, will be taken. Yeah. But for real, so you can trust the RH reading. They make these yeah. little terracotta stones, like raw. The brand that makes the uh, papers has it's called a raw hydro stone, but it's just a piece of terracotta, like a pot. And you soak that and you drop it into the jar. And that's how they used to rehydrate tobacco back in the day. And it actually, um, I've had some bud that I didn't grow myself, it was from a dispensary or whoever a sample my wife got. And then I introduced one of those hydro stones to it and it went from like powdering up and like really dusty and undesirable to hydrostone threw it in the curador at 60 degrees 60 percent relative humidity uh checked on it in a day and pulled the stone out and the buds were relatively uh moistened yeah. back up to the point where they're more pleasant to grind and roll and um I, I even think it like brings out a little bit more of the flavor when it's uh kept at proper temperature and humidity 
I've noticed I stick stuff in that curador, 60 to 60. And I don't think that's the magic number for drying personally, but I do think that is a magic number for curing. I think if you could keep stuff at that long term, that is like perfect. Like I've seen every single bud that I get, I put in there. And when I get it, it almost always gets better. Like 95% of the time, it's like almost never that it's better when I get it fresh from wherever, even from like my, whatever, my home grow. Um, I pull it out of the herbs now, put it into the curador for a week. And one week later, it's like much better than when it was when I put it in. It just gets everything back to that kind of homogenous uh, zone. And even when I did my hang dry or even when I dried the whole entire plant, like I cut down a plant, cleared the curador out and hung the whole plant in there, 60-60. And I think slowing it down, something about terpenes, they're weird. I think like you want to dry it relatively, not like super fast. I'm not talking like 24 hours or 48 hours, but like uh, five to 10 days, maybe 15 at the most, and then get it into a jar. And because terpenes, if you look at any testing chart, they go from up here, 100%, and they slowly drift down, down, down as the time goes. <laughs> like Unless right. you're keeping it in cold storage, out of uh, oxygen uh, exposure, out of light exposure, and not contacting it with your hands and things like that. Um, I think glass jars are much better than like, for example, mylar or whatever else things cannabis are being put into plastic bags. Um, yeah. So it's not moving around like a glass jar that actually fits it. So it's not, you want to have a little bit of room to breathe, but not so much that the buds are like rocking around and, and banging off the sides of the walls, losing trichomes. Cause you'll see, you'll open up that jar and there will literally be trichomes frosting out your whole glass. It's like, that's trikes that you could have smoked if you were a little bit more gentle, I guess. And, uh, just general thoughts. I'm curious, uh, Brandon, do you have general thoughts on the uh, amount of airflow and dry process? I know you've gone from home grow to much larger commercial grows and I'd love to hear your input on this. Yeah. So you want to have air movement, but you don't need air directly blowing on the plants. You just kind of want to create, you know, movement. And then I just run nice and cool uh, temperatures and nice, uh, nice low low uh rh so you know if you can get to like 60 65 in temps do real slide dry uh dry if you're if you have a ton of biomass in a small room i recommend uh keeping the rh a little bit lower for the first few days but then you can readjust it um if everything's nice and spaced out even you got plenty of room you know 50 percent, 55 percent rh is pretty good The American one, did you have any uh, thoughts on temperatures, humidities, and how long you like to uh, dry or when you like to get in jars? Any thoughts on that whole process? No, pretty much what was said. Uh, and yeah, I like kind of talking to MJ Coco's. If, if you're, uh, you should know when, you, when you're either dry trimming it or bucking it from the stems, whether it's ready for the jar or not. And, and like, yeah, check it though, especially if you have some big ones. Um, you can put it in there. It'll feel nice and dry on the outside. Put it in a jar overnight, and, and then you'll notice it's really wet again. And yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I would like to bring up, and it's one of the things that I think there's uh, maybe a lot of misconception around, especially with new growers. Um, I have seen a lot of people who don't, who's like never cultivated and never really dried before. They'll they'll take their weed when it's still wet and they'll put it in a jar and they'll do this burping thing where they're like letting it burp and then drying it. And it's like, that's not the proper way. Like you should never be putting anything in its final package until you're absolutely hundred percent sure 
that it's that it's dry and that what will happen is you put it in there you yeah. thinking it's dry you put the lid on there the the moisture redistributes from the inside of that the product and then all of a sudden you've just you know you ruined your your weed because you just put it into an environment with 100 percent moisture um and so the there the curing the actual curing which is the drying process should shouldn't be done in dry in, in jars in my opinion should be done on the line and then the jars are the final part where you kind of store it store everything yeah and, and if need be if need be you need to escape that last little bit of moisture to get the kind of perfect consistency that you want. Then you can crack those lids if you need to uh, for a little bit. But you also have to realize if you crack that lid and it's 75% RH where you're at, you could be essentially letting more humidity back into that. Or on yeah, the opposite, like in Arizona, when it's dry yeah. as hell, you pop it open yep. and it's it dries the bud right out. Like I brought some perfectly cured bud, uh, hypothetically, allegedly longer than the statute of limitations ago from California to Arizona. And it was perfectly cured in California. And then you get to Tucson and you open up that jar and it immediately just drops like and it halves the it's, it's the opposite of that in hawaii you go to hawaii you bring weed that's perfectly cured you open it up and bam that stuff is never going to dry out again sweat that's crazy the environments florida's like that too when it's uh that season where the humidity is super high uh if you're outdoors like and you open up a jar it just turns everything that you had into now it's overly moist bud because the rh is like a hundred percent and it could be 100% uh, and 100% yeah. uh, 100 degrees Fahrenheit there, which is rough outside in Florida. I want to bring something up just to, to reiterate this point, because I've heard a lot of growers think that there's something that gases off of cannabis that we need to burp out of the jar, or that there's, you know, like ethylene gas or something like that. There really isn't. Like the, everything that's gassing off of the, the cannabis is stuff that we want. It's like the terpenes volatilizing. It, it's not like something's breaking down, like ripening gas and making it like right. What about like faster. chlorophyll? Like getting rid of like the chlorophyll, like that that early fresh cut green smell. I feel like if you smoked it like the day it was harvested, it, it, hypothetically. Oh yeah, but it's not dry yet. Like that'll break down as it's drying. Well, we um, have some questions about freeze drying and drying uh, with freezing technology, which in my experience, people who freeze dry buds, that's actually one of the drawbacks is if you freeze dry it, the chlorophyll is captured in there. Yep. So you get that green taste. And yep. on top of that, it takes out a hundred percent of the moisture. So the bud turns to a powder. Like yep. it, it looks like a perfectly live bud, but you could like take it in your hand and squish it and it would yep. come out like sand. Yeah. Like freeze dried ice cream or something. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that most of the chlorophyll is going to gas off during the, the drying process. If you're still dealing with that, I think you're you're dealing with something like Brandon's talking about. You're still drying in the jars and that's not great. I think um, a lot of new growers are doing that unintentionally right. and being told that they should burp based on some old books and bad technology. I, and bad Yeah, based on, on sort of myths. There's not, there's not good sort of science. I mean, if you were dealing with like apples, then you need to have ventilation for them. And I think it comes from like that, like the idea of like, you know, transporting freshly harvested apples need to be basically burped or carried in a bag that has holes in it or whatever, so that the ethylene gas doesn't build up inside the bag and cause them to ripen faster. Um, there's no sort of analogous process in cannabis. Um, and even if there was like some 
things volatilizing that you'd like, you know, um, chlorophyll, it, it, I don't think you need to consistently burp to get rid of that concentration of sort of chlorophyll. And I think that chlorophyll just, you know, it, it breaks down in, internally. I'm not sure if it's volatilizing off as a Yeah, gap. it's not volatilizing off, I don't think, really. That's right? what I was going to say, yeah. But it, but it's like, you know, it's like it, there are those, like, grassy uh, aromas. Yeah. Right. But that's there's probably that's other because, chemicals in there that are associated with, like, the fresh-cut yeah. grass smell that we're all familiar with. If you got that grassy smell, though, it's because you messed up in a step. Yeah. That, well, yeah. That, that yeah. It's, if, if, if it has come to that, it's because you've already messed up. Now, I've seen it to where it's product has started to um, get started to get that and where they've been and someone has like, oh, we need to make sure this is dry. Put it back in the dryer. Yeah, like that. we need to dry it's again. Just, it's just, you know, it's, that's it's the hardest dry, part, man, the hardest part uh, because you can grow the best can of cannabis and then fuck your dry up and just completely ruin it. Yep. So true. We have some more questions from the uh, chat that I'd like to throw out there because I think we kind of all touched on those last few I ones from. I think time alone might ditch some of that chlorophyll. If, yeah, agreed. Because like, yeah, I had one. I think it was the strain more than my fuck. Well, it could have been because it was airy buds, but it, it was a little green tasting and high nitrogen. I wasn't loving too. on it. I left it in the jar and the t on the shelf for a long time, and it definitely eased out and tasted way better when I found it later. But that's anecdotal at best. No, I've had that same experience. And uh, I know newer growers, I think oftentimes when you give too much nitrogen, like that green taste tends to stick around a little bit more and often tends to lead to hay smell, whether it's genetic. I do think some genetics lean towards like, I will say like haze strains have a lot more of that green. Like you have to female hunt through it to find ones that don't have some of those like celery or like a green even the live plants smell like that before you're drying it so that's like a terp that cannabis actually does produce unfortunately and like you want to pick away from that certain hemp's have that smell too we do have a question from ridge patch who asks is there a good way to switch from 6 a.m on 6 p.m off to 6 p.m on 6 a.m off in the middle of flower huh. i'm changing to day shift from night shift at work thanks guys Mm, man yeah, slowly good, but i'd leave it in 24 hours of darkness once and then just flip it that's what i would do i don't go the other it. way i'd go exactly the other way i'd you, give them 24 hours you of light leave the wise. light on totally yeah yeah 24 Explain hours it. of darkness is much more stressful well, to plants than 24 hours of light yeah but i don't want that to does make sense it. Ooh, but hmm, what about and, and plus one day's not going to be that, that screws up the, the reproductive cycle anyway. So, avoiding a, a, a lights out period altogether might confuse the plants a little bit, but I, I don't think that that's going to be as big of a stressor to them. So, the lights are supposed to be on for 12 hours, they stayed on for 24, and then they went off for 12 hours, and then 12, 12, 12, 12. Uh, yeah, I think that that's the way I would play that. And I think we'll we'll just all acknowledge mm. that there's not a ton of like there's no research on this, right? So we're all kind <laughs> yeah, of no. our best guess. So I don't Tao know. Had, Tao had his thought. No, Tao but his let thought. Me, no, no. This way it makes sense to me. You're not gonna have a nighttime where the sun comes out ever. You may have a daytime where the cloud cover is almost like it's dark. 
So I think it would be beneficial to leave it in dark that extra time, personally. That's when what I've I done do. it, that's Even how I've done against it. Against Dr. MJ's brilliance, I would go against. So I've never done it. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I've done like <laughs> an hour or two change, but when I've done it, I've done it through the dark. I'll just leave them in dark for not what's 24 hours, but it'll be like an 18 hour, like a 12 hour darkness and then an extra whatever to get to. The I, I agree with that, that too, though, Jack. If you're going to walk them one day at a time, I'd add an hour to the darkness. Like one hour at a time, right? Walking that the dark cycle. No, so I, I did I mean, kind of like Tao was saying, but instead of going full 24 hour dark cycle, like they would normally be on 1212, for example, right? right? Instead of getting a, a 12 hour, it'd be like a 16 hour night. And then I'd have it turn on whenever it's supposed to turn back on after a full 12. And then the light right. cycle would be the earliest, soonest one that happens in reality because like our time and the planet's time is two different schedules as we can set there i would say i would say you know i mean like if they get only a dark period and no light like they're starving they're starving. They're not they're they're literally starving so like so I wouldn't... yeah i feel like that's not very fair to the plant they're, they're gonna it's gonna stress them out for for that reason <laughs> and it's always the scoto period that's sensitive to the plant right? it's the dark period um, that how yeah, long exactly. the dark period is, is what affects their reproductive cycle and how long the dark period is, is something that the plants need to budget for. They need to sort of plan and prepare and store energy to survive that. Um, how long the lights are on. I'm not aware of that sort of any research that shows that plants are as sensitive to how long the lights are on. Well, um, we know, I've had a lot of growers ask the question, like, can I do, you know, 16 on and 12 off in rotation? So like you're living in a planet that has like 28 hour days or whatever. Um, I don't know that we're we're aware of the answer to that question. Really, People are it. messing around with it. Go read through the forums. There's like one or two guys that have tried like six on, two off, like 10 on, five off. Like there's every single freaking light cycle out there. So, I mean, people have messed with it. But now that I'm hearing the discussion again, and, and we've talked about this in the past and many ways of doing it, but from a logic perspective, like what Doc is saying, I've never actually tried it that way. And I would go with doing that because it the plant doesn't necessarily like there's examples yeah. autoflowers can handle 24 hours of light and what's your major concern what doc and matthew are describing is okay the major concern with being off for 24 hours is the plant is being starved of light that is a concern but with the light being on for 24 hours like yeah okay it might be stressful or whatever but i don't think that the plant is going to reveg i know a lot of I, people I know, who try to reveg uh, and it takes I don't think it's going to reveg, but it's going to get confused. I might throw out herms or something. That could ha it could happen. The herms going to be more from the stress of the twenty four hours of darkness. I mean, that's why I wouldn't want to do it. I'd be worried about putting those kind of stressors on the plant. Um, yeah, it's not, you you're going to stress the plant. Yeah, uh, there would be no sunlight at at nighttime. There might be darkness during the day occasionally. That's yeah. my theory, and I'm I feel like that. I always used to do it. <laughs> I feel like, like a it's really one cloudy of those day, like where... when the power goes out. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think both like, theories have merit, and at this point, they're they're just hypotheses. I mean, I I yes. don't think that there's been enough testing of this specific question to be able to to say one's right or the other's wrong. I'm gonna go get a grant from the feds. There you go, get a grant. <laughs> we need to study how to best effectively flip the the flowering. <laughs> period in the in the day night cycle right is that by leaving the, yeah. the lights off for a long period of time or leaving lights on for a long period of time for all of like the shift workers changing to night shift workers we're here for you 
We and I would love, question. I would love when research like that starts to be possible. I mean, they do research like that. If you're like a, a cotton farmer or corn farmer or whatever, there's all sorts of research that's been done about these kinds of things, about best season to plant, about, you know, the best time of day to harvest, about all these kinds of issues that we've only been barely scratched the surface. So this would be an interesting one. And especially with a, you know, a photo scoto period plant like cannabis, testing some of that you know, the specific responses to the different stressors. Yeah, I agree. I have a feeling it's going to be one of those things where like intuitively it would make sense one way, but you know, when you often. look at the, yeah, right. But often it's, uh, you know, it, yeah. the, the plants are like us or something like that kind of a thing. Well, but then oh, you maybe. have to figure out, well, why was I intuitively wrong? What was I missing in that and build your mental model better, right? And and that's how we end up with sort of a working you know, horticultural knowledge. Exactly. Indeed. True. Great point. We've got another great follow-up question from uh, Grunt, 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 not follow-up question, but a separate question. They say, um, they say, Jack, what meter do you recommend for drying? Also, how about drying with plans for washing it? I've heard about three-day dry, then freeze being a great method. And I like that method because I think it gets off a lot of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, whether I don't think it necessarily is chlorophyll, but maybe some of the other um, undesirable early organic compounds and just a certain amount of moisture so that when you're doing a wash, like people talk about their wash percentages and like if they get above 5% with fresh frozen, they're happy because like fresh frozen, you're taking such a heavy amount of material because so much of it is wet, but then it's frozen obviously, but a lot of that is moisture. And when you're washing it, your returns are relatively low. Like 5% is not a giant number so um yeah i think that doing the three-day dry i've seen solventless bnv will be kind of the person who popularized that i just wanted to show the meter because i was asked i'm not sponsored by them but this is the one that i use in uh, conjunction with herbs now so that i don't overdry i did overdry at least once and i was like never again <laughs> i don't want to overdry my buds so uh if i'm going to use the herbs now which is accelerating the dry to about a five-day dry period versus like a 14 hang, hang dry this uh, meter is like 28 bucks on Amazon, Tevul. It's a wood moisture meter. And uh, there's multiple settings, but I find either one that I use reads about the same. It's like within 1% of each other. So um, for Grunt Grown, who is the one who asked, I just wanted to show that off. And for anybody else who's wondering, like I said, not sponsored, but that's just the one that I use. Uh, shout out to my buddy Reed, who recommended it to me a long time ago. Aaron the Grower uses it as well. Somebody's like, oh, I've seen Aaron the Grower use it. I'm like, I recommend it to him and he loves it. I also like that it gives you kind of that moisture activity. For like him in the legal market, I think uh, I think that might have to be around 10% for testing. I think he goes for like 10 to 12. Uh, Brandon, is there a moisture activity level uh, requirement for Oklahoma? I believe so. I think it's like... Uh, I think you said under 15 maybe? Yeah, I want to say it's under 15. I think it might be 12. Actually, okay. I, I, uh, I have to look because I haven't... Uh, looked at the news i haven't i haven't uh, been doing any testing personally you know i'm only mainly focusing on bokashi earthworks and then consulting so i'm not the guy who uh sends off for for testing and i am not sure if they changed any of the thing any of the yeah. laws so. aaron's doing the whole i think vertically integrated like start to finish other than i think he has uh people distributors that he's uh selling it through if you go to his instagram you could find no Aaron the growers he products. does he does he does all the dis that dude's pounding pavement all himself, dude. He's like going door to he's fucking going to dispensaries himself to drop his product off. Yeah, I love that. I mean, he's posting the ones that pick up dude, his product. That dude's and doing he's it. Stamping hey, it himself. Yeah. 
he's yeah he's getting it solid out here he's a lot in, of love for him so, yeah he, i got to see him at the cowboy cup just recently he's a great dude i was very fortunate to meet him in northern california before he left california and i got to see his farm up there and he's a great person his uh, wife and daughter are amazing people and uh i really just wish the best for him I, I see him chasing his dream he's doing a great thing that's why he can't be with us tonight he's a very busy guy like brandon said he's pounding the pavement and doing a lot of things right so I'm uh, happy for him. I think Michigan was one that I think it's 10% moisture activity, which to me, like under 10%, like, cause if you have to test it at that, it's only going to be that or lower by the time it gets to the consumer uh, is kind of unfortunate. So, cause like I, my favorite smoke is like 12 or 13%. And uh, as far as the texture of the bud, like you can feel it. If you, if you smoke the flower long enough, you know what consistency you like and the texture of a bud when it's at that right moisture content and when it's either too dry or too moist and, uh, certain markets are mandating that it's going to be drier than some people are having used to been smoking for years and years. So it's, so it's going to be tough for them to this, adjust. They're going to keep going to their maybe old plug until uh, one, things change. I think one of the thing uh, about moisture that's really overlooked from a consumer perspective is if you're somebody who likes to smoke joints or likes to smoke blunts and you go roll something up, that's really, really dry. The fact that it's dry and that the way that it grinds up, it's going to actually burn hotter when you hit it because it's a finer material and that's going to affect the flavor and the smoke. So you might be having a harsher experience on your hits because of that material. Now, if you get some, if you get material that has a higher moisture content, that's kind of like fresh, it's not going to burn as fast. And so it's, it's not going to, um, it's not, or it's not going to, uh, be as hot when it's, um, being burnt so it has a there's a direct correlation you know on that aspect as well a chunkier grind unless you're like vaporizing i think uh vaporizing it's great to grind it up really finely and then you're not combusting at all so you don't have to worry about that and also moisture content is like less of a thing like i've had some bud that was way too early to be smoked but like when you vape it it's funny you'll you'll see like a ton of uh vapor and you're like holy shit like this must be like really potent but it's really just a lot of water content and your like, lungs kind of get like you cough a lot more if it's too early and it helped me realize like w once after like a, a hit or two it the water content is pretty much gone because vaporizers are like 300 plus degrees or whatever so that first hit might be uh, a lot of water content but it's a good way for you to get an early test on a strain is if you're gonna try and sample it maybe earlier is to uh, vaporize it versus smoking it for anybody out there who may be a little bit impatient maybe needing that medication earlier than uh the 14 day dry plus whatever extended cure certain people are going through before they feel they're ready to smoke their buds growing up a bunch and then having stuff left over from the last harvest is obviously ideal. So uh, that's the goal, but definitely uh, lots of great ways to try and cure that. I think we've covered many of them though tonight and we have plenty of other questions. I know that I mentioned that we were going to open it up to the chat, but I do want to get to these last couple questions before we uh, throw out that link. And let's see. We've got one more from Oil Town. Or no, Grunt Grown says, Grow bags are awesome. They are cheap and do a great job of regulating humidity as well as not having the statics from uh, pull off the trichomes from the buds. So that's another one. Uh, I've actually seen a lot of people recommending that recently. And shout out to all the home growers out there that are using them with success. It's like a bag that I believe is partially perforated so that it keeps the RH within a certain range, uh, not allowing it to go too high or too low. So a lot of people, uh, I was skeptical as I am with everything. It kind of looked like it was in like the Bovita or Integra kind of line of things, like um, a additional product to kind of help people get more in that ideal range. And um, it can help, but I didn't think it was like necessary. And I still kind of feel that way, but I've heard people like 
that have a lot of experience that tried it and they said that it was like better than their glass jars or better than their turkey bags or other things like that so i'm curious to try them myself at some point just to see i like to give everything a shake fair shot myself and uh, at least see but this is a uh, grunt grown who's saying it, and i've heard a lot of other growers that i interact with on a regular basis that have also spoken highly of that so if you are having struggles with the dry and the gear still grow bags might be an option out there for you to check out just to throw that out there and that was actually the last sort of uh question or comment and unless i have to scroll back up i'm sure there's more in the chat but yeah curious if you guys have any thoughts before i go ahead and share that link nay no but they were asking about fresh frozen and i yeah. think from what i understand you do the fresh frozen so that you don't lose the terps at all right yeah and you don't have to trim or do anything else so i saw somebody else that like what's the advantage of it i'm like wow right <laughs> Like you just put the whole plant, in but there. but like the resonate was saying, it reduces yield dramatically, supposedly. Well, right? it's the ratio if you're counting the whole wet weight of the plant against the weight of what uh, you pull out of it, then that's a terrible right. ratio. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a right. terrible yield, right? It's going to be yeah, terrible. So you're counting like, the water weight as part of the denominator. So, like, let's say you hang dried for 14 days, okay, you're going to lose like 80% of the weight in water, roughly. Yeah. Okay, so let's right. say you started with a thousand grams wet from your <laughs> thousand thousand grams plant. You take that and you freeze it. You have a thousand grams of frozen product. You wash that. You get five percent. That's fifty grams on your return. That's an average return. Where the person who goes and takes the dried product, which might not have as much terpenes because it was dried in a hotter environment, they flash off as low as sixty eight degrees as long as as well as esters and other things like that. But they're gonna have. A, a greater percentage return because they're washing 200 grams, right? And of that 200 grams, it's like all very trichomous buds. It's not a bunch of water. So water weight, yeah, yeah. instead of a 5% return, they're going to get much higher returns on that. And right. so. Yeah, that's uh, why those numbers on, on fresh frozen are, are uh, no, so vanishingly yeah. small. It's like 1%, screw that. It's like 1% of the total weight of the entire plant. Let's wetly cut Wet down. Plant. Yeah. All right, good enough. And then like 50 grams going into 200 would be a much greater percentage than 50 grams going into 1,000. This is a obvious yeah. example, right? So the dried, even though it's going to have like less terpenes, people really like it because like when you smell a plant live, a lot of people are like, oh man, I wish I could smoke like exactly how that live plant was. And live rosin for a lot of people is the closest experience to that. Like if you get a really nice uh, freeze-dried hash rosin that was done properly, it can be some of the tastiest stuff out there, in my opinion. Um, great flower, I think can definitely match it or be even better, but there is some spectacular hash artists and even extract artists from the solventless or solvent side of the field. It's like, uh, for great things from Fergrolia, there's a tons of, tons of people out here in California, whether it's butane or other things that they purge it down to literally zero, like the tests come back and it's non-detectable amounts of solvent. So it is at that point, I mean, if, a GCMS can't detect solvent in it. It might as well be solventless, right? But uh, it was made with a solvent, obviously, but they purge out all the stuff that you don't want. And uh, it can be very, very, very tasty. I know that a lot of people like to turn their nose up to anything made with a solvent if they're that kind of heady solventless type. And I know many of those people out here in California, it's a lot more expensive if you're uh, getting into the like ice water hash and, and dry sift and things like that. Um, the solvent stuff is coming at per gram costs way, way lower, like diamonds and sauce and all that other great textures that have been popular nowadays have uh, gotten a lot more affordable but 
I said that I was going to share the link and I forgot to do that. So let me go and copy that and let the uh, rest of the crew uh, wax poetic about cannabis and all those great things. Somebody just asked me a question that I can answer here in live about <laughs> Rowdy asked if um, the dry back, you know, he, he fertigates during the lights on and doesn't for I'm trying to scroll back and see where the question is. He said, I'm growing in uh, organic amended cocoa perlite using HFF. I fur every two hours during lights on. Um, what sort of issue am I causing by not fertigating during lights out? At 18.6, not much. Um, so the six hours is, you know, you would be only missing one fertigation during that dark period. And it would be after, you know, four hours into a six hour dark period or whatever. So not much. If you flip this to a 12-12 cycle though, and you're still only watering during lights on, then you're going to go a 12 hour dry back in between watering events. And then, you know, only a two hour dry back between each other event. So if you have this set up that you get the same amount of water at each event, you're not going to get back to saturation on that first event because it's a larger dry back. Or if you are, you're going to be sort of excessively fertigating all the other events during that day. So, you know, 18.6 is probably not going to be an issue. High frequency on a 12-12 cycle is when we start to, to create problems with that. That's all so there's, there's a small delay, but I did just post the uh, link in the chat and I pinned it on the Cheap Home Grow YouTube channel here um, from the Cheap Home Grow account. It says link to join Zoom call live streamed on YouTube. Uh, join with IG or YouTube name or you will not be admitted and then link. So if you do want to click on that, the only reason I give that caveat is we want to make sure we know who's jumping in other than just like iPhone or like Steve M, you know, like we don't want your government name unless you're comfortable sharing that. Um, and we're familiar with you from the chat. Like we've got some people in here that I would recognize their actual name. So if you want to join under that name, then you're welcome to do that. But yeah, most of us, I think, have like a uh, name that we use on here, like the dog doctor, as an example, a pretty regular Wait, That's his, not his real name. That's not his real name. Shocking. Oh, damn. I thought he was a dog doctor. I was like, are you a vet? <laughs> I still don't even remember the answer. I got too stoned and forgot. But uh, great guy. Academy. It's official. Official. Yes. He's the official the dog official doctor. Dog official doctor. Dog doctor. Yeah. And he is back. <laughs> live and direct. 5.30. We got Hi, half an everybody. hour with him on the Cheap Home Grow tonight. How is everybody there? Position. Can you guys hear me? We can. Yes, we can. Hello, Hi. dog doctor. Oops, sorry. How are you all? Thank you. Spartan, hope you get better well soon. He's in chat with us now, so he's. I know, uh, I know. I was chatting there with, 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 with Okay, let me take this thing out. I somehow didn't notice that. I'm glad that he's here. I hope he gets better too. We got Oton Oil jumping in here too in a second. I'm sure uh, Dog Doctor is probably going to show off his garden if uh, he feels so, up yes, to sir. doing I'm so. I know you usually this. do. Yep. There we go. There we go. And you guys were talking about this, so I kind of pulled it out. Is that your wood moisture meter? Yes, I actually don't use it a lot, but uh, since you guys were talking about it, uh, I kind of pull it out and, and we can try one. Just, 
Live test. Funny story while you do it. I saw a can of cribs where they were doing this and the boss was there and he was like going through the dry room and he's like, this is the dry expert. And then like, he's like, the number is supposed to be between, between like 12 and 15 and the number is like eight. And he's like, you're messing <laughs> up. You need to get on top of your game. He's like, was blowing it. So That's for those funny. of you guys that know, you see that right now, the perfect quad dexterous application. Oh, right out, man. He's got like 7.8. What's he at? What's he at there? Uh, 11.8. 11.8. Sorry, that's I'm more money. The, the review, the delayed. Feed. No, it, it did some weird thing with the seven first. No, you had to push it down. 11. I had to push it down. I was trying to find a Ooh, way. We're to hitting quarter ten. There you go. Okay, I'm on. That's the perfect range. Now. That's perfect range. Ten to twelve is great smoke. That's yep. nice, sticky, icky right there. Above ten uh, is is crushing uh, it. I'm I'm testing it for the first time actually. I'm actually right here. I know. Well, where... Pass it over. <laughs> There we go. I'll spark some up. Is the, that bubble OJ, the one with the mites and everything. She came out really nice. Yeah, I often okay. like to like to let people know that um, you know, if you if you get something like a spider mite or other things like that, like a lot of people despair, maybe because there's an ick factor associated, perhaps. But to be honest, you know, your plants can still come out really amazing, especially if you get it early. Um, I mean, look at these things. Like they are not uh, fatigued. Dude, these things have suffered a lot. Uh, I had one light first that stopped working, so I had to change, which was a good thing because that one was getting burned. But the burn one is not anymore burned, and it's the biggest one of them all now. Well, look at that beast over there. Chunky. Yeah, then I put that uh, little one in here and I thought this is not enough lights. So, but I cannot take it out because it, this is really tall. I'll just say that Probably. that chunky one you showed, that's one I would actually, as as much as it hurts my heart, I would break that one apart when I dry it up because I'd be afraid oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, fat yeah. that it would be one of those that would have bud rot if you leave it to dry and it's like fair or wet trimming thick top yeah and that's going to the rack and it's going to be wet trimming exactly and and if you noticed i don't have the wind directly there it's pointing the wall but uh it's actually yeah. <laughs> i try my best to, to not to, to prevent that blood grow over there so now what i did since uh i'm changing this like dr mj coco suggested i had this one stopped so i put it here and i feel like now is enough light for them there Okay. It looks After. interesting. It, it's definitely not sort of textbook lighting situation going on there, but I realize you're doing the best you can. <laughs> I, I, I cannot put this it looks up like here. it's working. Yeah, yeah look at that. <laughs> if I put that up there, it will be touching. You know, I, I, I'm, I understand <laughs> what you're doing. I mean, I got gotcha. you. This is actually a, this is actually a really, um, I mean, it's a uh, literal balancing act, right? It's, yeah. Um, but to all the new growers out there, he didn't grow these fire buds because he's got his lights set up like that. He's got exactly. his lights set up like that because they're <laughs> trying to get out of the way of his monster buds. This Pretty is much. true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is no, if somebody will show up next week and they've got their lights set up like that. They're like, I saw this guy on the internet, man, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he had this like great garden <laughs> and he had these lights at the all way. these funky angles. And that's what I'm going to try to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. No. 
No, he has lights in spite of his plants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm going to put some down here going up also, maybe some, some straws. Oh, over don't there. joke about that. There's a scrog out there right now that's doing it. They're selling it right now. It's oh, a really? real thing. Yeah, there's a scrog with an LED light that shoots up into the bottom of your canopy. And I'm just like face palming because oh, the bottom of your leaves. Oh, I talked to a system. company about there. There's a company <laughs> making under canopy lighting systems. Yeah, just one for the commercial <laughs> space. And I had a long conversation <laughs> with them at MJ BizCon. So and I'm curious to know more about that, actually. That's a very <laughs> interesting <laughs> conversation. Definitely is. So side I'm lighting, I could kind of see justified in certain situations, but under lighting is absolutely no. But top lighting, I think, is 100% the best way if you just oh, really see. I'm a more top. fan of under lighting than side lighting, but I'm I, I don't think that it's really a necessary improvement. And the returns are going to be to the and there are returns at all. And this is kind of what I was pushing on with the guy at, in Las Vegas was you know, they're just going to be much smaller returns than you're getting from your overhead light. Um, so from an efficiency perspective, you might still increase yields, but you're not going to be increasing efficiency. I agree. It would be interesting. The... Go ahead, Matthew. Oh, go, go. Okay. Um, I just think it, it would be interesting if like, maybe like for some plants, I don't think there are really any plants. Maybe there's some, maybe not a lot of commercial plants, but like, I don't know if they had the physiology, you know, if they were able to read them in such a way that they could like make use of it, maybe, maybe, but like, I don't think. That's I'll really say good. I saw Miami Mango had a garage set up where they had top lighting was HPS and they had these little sliders up and down and it was side lighting LED and it was like single strips of what looked like, you know, Samsung LED diodes. Right. And it was basically just trying to like bulk up the lowers so that their whole entire canopy was fat, top notch, A grade buds. Yeah. And they filled out like a, a garage just to get it's the maximum. Really, yeah, per I, I don't thing. know that that's going to work. Because it the plant good. doesn't the just distribute its energy locally. The plant doesn't be like, this leaf is getting light, so this flower gets bigger. I, I think a lot of growers believe that like there's a, a really tight one-to-one -one relationship there. And that in order to grow the, the lower buds, you need to get the lower leaves or even the lower buds themselves light. But the plant will preferentially allocate its energy towards the part of the plants that it thinks have the strongest chance of reproduction. So if it's limited on energy, it, it will push that towards the, the canopy. If it's not, it'll grow out those, those lower sites. But yeah, I think it's a way everybody's trying to get that little additional edge, right? I don't think that I'm not a big fan of any of these things, but Hey, Doc, let me ask you yeah. a quick question. Is all green parts of a plant photosynthesizing? I mean, to some extent, yeah, but not really. Um, so like the stems and the, right. the flower sites, the bracts or whatever themselves, they're, they're not really producing significant photosynthate and they're not sharing it with sort of the rest of the plant. So um, okay. the part of the plant that's really photosynthesizing and then sharing that, you know, photosynthate resource with other parts of the plant are the leaves. Um, the big leaves, yeah. Yeah. So getting light directly to like the cannabis bud sites themselves or the flowers isn't helpful to your crop. They're not photosensitive. They're not sort of, they don't respond differently, whether they're in the light or out of the light. And they're not able to really efficiently harvest the photons for photosynthesis like leaves can. And when you're well lit, the bottom stuff, I've had completely shaded buds that'll bulk up 
like with exactly. the adequate like it was completely shaded i left a, a thing just experimentally the very bottom branch and it yeah, pr- pushed out a fat but yeah. strain specific too though some strains are better than others but i want to welcome in uh stairs at plants and uh say hello you're showing off your garden it looks great right now i've got you and the dog doctor spotlighter right now uh dog doctor showing us what looks like his veg but uh, i want stairs at plants to go ahead and say hello to the chief home grow audience again and tell us what we're looking at it looks good uh hello everyone leaf. there's the plants here hello, buddy. um what i got here is uh some amnesia haze that i'm running at about day 85 right now and I sent a message to Doc in the chat because he says that the trichomes aren't an accurate way to harvest a plant. So I'm looking for his advice. What do you consider when you're into these long strain um, harvest plants, 12, 13 weeks, where do you harvest something like that? Because I'm keeping my leaf temperature surface down below 80, but yet I'm getting fox tailing on it. So something's telling I don't me. think that's foxtailing. Okay. That's a genetic that, one that goes that long. Well, that plant, yeah. So we'll come back to that. But can you go in on those calyxes again? You know, yeah, I, I don't think that that's real foxtailing. That's an open calyx structure, and the flower's doing it all over the flower. So a foxtail is a, a response that a plant will have a, a proper foxtail. I, I see people all the time calling that what you're showing foxtailing and thinking that it's a, a problematic growth characteristic. But a, a, the foxtail that's a problematic is something happened. It's usually excessive heat on the that bud that basically kills the bud and it will grow one foxtail out of that bud it's not like growing like all foxtails out of like all of the calyxes basically are becoming a foxtail it's basically giving up on on that bud that like died and and growing a new branch out to grow more buds on that new branch um and it, it's a one long skinny thing. So if you guys at home are seeing things like these flowers here, there's some plants that just m- like mature that way with a really open calyx structure. They got like little fingers that grow off of the, the bud in all sorts of different direction. Um, sometimes that's a sign that, you know, they might be ready to harvest when they start really doing that if it hadn't been doing it before. But it's not the same as sort of a foxtail caused by heat which is really a problematic growth thing that, that you Does want it to have. have haze in the lineage at all? You said it's like a 12-weeker long finisher, stairs at plants. What, what strain is that uh, one that you were saying is foxtailed, the one we were just looking at earlier? This is amnesia haze, but when you look at the amnesia, you probably know this better than me, Jack. You're pretty versed on these strains. That amnesia isn't like a true haze. Um, and amnesia from who? Well, this is... <laughs> This is gone. I'm not trying harvest, to be rude. It's so. just there's a hundred readers. No, that's there. a Jack Green yeah, question. So I love it. It's ganja farmer, but I don't know who they grab their amnesia haze from. Is ganja is farmer a seed bank or a It's a root. Uh, ganja farmer's a new seed bank. Um, Doc yeah. Doctor's also growing some of their stuff. They just on the Grow Diary site that we're involved with, uh, they sponsor a few competitions. So that's why I ran their gear. I like the genetics they're sending me. They send me a bunch of them already, the new ones for next year. I'm pretty curious to test them. 
actually the the one we see before is from them, the bubble of Jagan. I'll say this about amnesia. Um, amnesia haze is super silver haze. It's the same strain. Yeah. It came out the same year. It's not a coincidence. People like to change names and sell stuff under different flagships. You get different yeah. phenotypes. The super silver haze, look at the lineage. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It has a lot of different expressions. Yeah. So what's one person's amnesia, even if you took a cut, the amnesia that got popular in the UK, um, it's different in each person's grow room. There's pretty similarities, like a strong uplifting high, but smells and, and tastes. And even yeah. within the same jar, if you pass it to me and Matthew, we're going to smell different things. So the, yeah. the one I grew was the Dutch passion ones. It's very different from the one you're growing. She was very different. Every plant of some of those can be different. I've grown a bunch yeah. of super silver hazes that are all different to each individual plant. And a couple of them have the open calyx structure like we saw on that amnesia haze. And even I, the I same also, one grown... Sorry. Oh, no, it's no problem. I also have the association. Um, I also wanted to say that uh, I have some impressions about uh, stairs at plants' question. Although he asked you directly, Dr. Coco. Okay, well, you, you can certainly chime in. I was going to say, you know, I'm not trying to say that that plant isn't ready to harvest uh, either. My overall sort of look at it and not looking at those two plants or the two colors that are in front, which I assume are a younger plant, right? Earlier in the yeah. flower, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. The plant, yeah, it, it looks like it might be ready to harvest. For Can sure. I just throw a random piece of advice because I've grown a lot of these longer flowering sativas that has helped me in the past when you get those kind of, they almost seem like they're never going to finish. If you're right. running 12-12, drop it to 11-13 for a few days or even to extreme, a 10-14 for like two or three days just to get that one to finish up. And I don't think it's going to negatively impact the rest of your flower that badly. You could even increase your DLI, not total DLI, but you can increase your lighting a tad bit just so the other plants in there don't suffer. But I've noticed a lot of those longer flowering sativas, if you give them a little bit longer dark period, they tend to uh, want to finish up within a couple of days of doing that. You'll notice those white hairs start turning orange and it just finishes plumping up and it's like, oh, okay, now it's ready to harvest. I had to harvest one of those signing silver hazes, man, when it had so many white pistols, like all just milky trichomes. There was, and it was just going to go like that forever. I became convinced that it would just stay like that until I harvested it. And when I pulled it down, it ended up being, I, I nicknamed that plant the best plant because it was like my favorite plant to smoke of all the crop of plants I pulled down. I think I grew six different plants that run, um, but it was the best one. So, you know, sometimes plants need to be harvested when they still have white pistols. And I definitely saw white pistols at the end of those open calyx structures on that plant. But I, I don't think that that's indicative of it not being ready to harvest. Um, so if you're yeah, waiting some, for those to go away fall. or change color, you may be waiting forever. They may always look Some like plants that. will never stop pumping out the white hair. Exactly. I know some people that take them like 22 weeks, man, and eventually they'll, they'll go red. It's uh, you got to stick it in the corner of that room and just let it keep flowering. But I don't forever. necessarily think it's more ripe then or more ready to be smoked for any other reason. Uh, I mean, they claim more psychedelic effects at that level, but I haven't. I noticed some really good NL5 hazes that are done in like 10 to 12 weeks that have similar effects to these 16 to 22 week uh, yeah. Neville's hazes and things like that. Where's so that? I want to welcome uh, Potent Ponics. Hey. What's up, Where's Potent? the flower, man? Potent, buddy. Hi. How's it going? Where's love, my friend? Speaking of Thailand, he said there's actually 28 venomous strains or something over there. <laughs> of, uh, yeah, we have more, 
more than what you mentioned. Yeah, we have like two dozen vipers alone here. Dang. So, I would say, sorry. personally, my opinion, I just wanted to say that my opinion on the harvest um, yeah, timeline yeah. is really just, um, I have an agnostic approach to that in that like, if you want a certain effect and maybe if a, if, if a plant is renowned or has been like bred enough that you can really expect consistency, then, you know, if you're going for a certain thing, just much like a, a wine grower, you know, you do it a certain way, you want a certain effect and you consistently get that effect. On the other hand, uh, you could harvest earlier if you wanted to, and you'll you'll have a different effect that way. Maybe you'll enjoy that more. Different flavors too. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Tab talked about that. Day thirty four harvest. Somebody bought all of it because they loved it so much, and it was yeah, like a so week five harvest. Some people eat green tomatoes. I do not. But You're some right, people though. do this. Yeah, it's, you yeah. can't account for taste really. Although you guys, you know the re reality is we we deal with a lot of new growers. And new growers are often super excited to get to their first harvest and they might be pretty tempted <laughs> to yeah. harvest it a few weeks early when we all basically know that they'd be happier with their harvest if they waited a couple more weeks. I mean, that, that's you make the, a good point. That's totally that, I really agree with you, Matthew, like try different that's, things. You can't just I keep think, doing the same thing every time and expect that you know exactly what you like. Well, yeah, I feel like this is the uh, this is the equivalent of like um, you know when you know the rules you can break the rules exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but learn the rules first, right? But learn the rules. Like have so, a good harvest. Have a harvest that sort of knocks your socks off, and then be like, you know, I'm going to try to pull a plant a little bit earlier next time and see how that's different or whatever. But... So uh, oil town, oil town oil has been patiently waiting. He's been here for a while. I want to give him a chance to talk about his garden and ask any questions he may have. And then I want potent ponics to uh, walk us around. Cause there's lots of plants over there and uh, always cool to see the perspective from Thailand, uh, but oil. Town yeah. Oil. Track down Amy for us potent. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, oh yeah. I'll show you the Amy's. I'll show you the Amy's. So these are, uh, we got a bunch of, this is blueberry. We got some white nightmare. So this one comes out. Oh, really I, I just want to, can I have you pause this for a second? Because I, Oil Town Oil has been waiting for like 10 or 15 minutes and we've only got about uh, 10 minutes left in total. So Go I just want to make sure he gets a chance to, if he has any questions, show off his garden real quick. And then we'll, I'll, I'll run it a few minutes extra at the end of this. Yeah. So we can give everybody their time. But uh, Oil Town Oil, go ahead. Yeah, you guys have seen this little garden before. Uh, really honored to be on the show again. Uh, some questions about these guys. I'm wondering what that kind of leaf is kind of, I'm thinking maybe an iron or something. I'm okay. seeing a little more on this guy here. But other than that, they're looking really good. Is it is it I'm possible there's too much light? <clears throat> Sorry. Am okay. I seeing some halos, I wonder? Or is it just necrosis? Hmm. What's the sure. EC like? Well, Tom, uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I doubt there's too much light, but is it possible that you're giving him way too much light? Hmm, it's not likely. My it's not likely. PPS okay, people usually know that whether or not that's even sort of in the in the range of no. possibilities. If it's not, it's probably not. The light that I'm using is not that big, and it's only set at seven right now. Yeah, so no, it's it's not. It's not too much. I'm light. guessing EC or uh, water, like it was either EPA, water too much. Or yeah, maybe so. Yeah. That's the first thing I to did check. Bump like, up my EC a lot trying to put those newts in, so mm. I may have to just. I'm just probably going to do uh, like a very low EC for the last couple of weeks. That was what is plan. the EC that you used, or or what was the highest it got to? 
Uh, you're going to hate me, but I don't know. I was well, aiming for around 300, though. My EC meter broke recently, and I haven't gotten a new one yet. It's on it the way. I'm trying to figure out what that actually means. What do you mean by 300? Do you mean like milli- like Siemens? Micro Siemens? Milli Siemens? Uh, no, it was, uh, I believe, no, that was PPFD. I must have been. Yeah, PPFD was. Uh, oh, PPFD, PPFD is a measure of the amount of light. PPM. Yeah, PPM, PPM. For, uh, was around 300 PPM. going into oh, the plant. Coming PM. out of it was around like five or six hundred so it depends on ppm scale there's three different ppm scales so yeah it could yeah, be like, yeah the ec right on it could be low or it could be high oh i'm just bottle because i was aiming for the bottles ranges i don't i don't trust bottles for the, that exact reason i think they want you to use more so that you buy more and what is their <laughs> their range what what product is this that we're looking at it's that stupid med one okay one. i don't like it I don't recommend. Go back to the, the recommended DC dose. Yeah, the focus. It's pretty high. The recommended at that full bloom EC is uh 1250 for PPM EC and then 1250 for PPM. What's the EC? Uh 2.5 EC. So. 2.5 inflow is is really high. If you're gonna be up at the very highest, but yeah. So that's it could be it. What about your pH practices? Uh, mm. pH is on point. My pH going in is around five nine because the pH coming from the soil is a little high, so it comes out at around like six one six three. What is the media that you're growing in? Uh, like a soil mix from uh, like an organic from Lowe's, just like organic Miracle Grow mixed with some mycorrhiza is the main base, and then I've added in like a little bit of uh, Miracle Grow. So there was there a timeless nudes? Mm. There's a small amount the- of like frass and stuff in there too. Like, yeah, uh, there's a little small amount of that, but there's definitely some castings I mixed in there. Yeah. But now that little it. guy maybe got too much juice, but you were saying only about three. This was the run in the front right. I remember this. We were we told him to kill yeah. us because it was an and, auto, uh, but I it got the dates. ended up not getting yeah, burnt. It's for October 1st for the, these guys. And then this one was uh, a week and a half later. So I think I didn't experience as much of the uh, nutrient issue because it's smaller. It didn't eat through as much of the food in the pot or whatever it is, you know. It looks much healthier. Right. uh, So you started with with amended newts and you're trying to transition to uh, a fertigation practice. Uh, right. Next time, I'm definitely going to be following Coco. Don't don't look at this as anything that I'm proud of. So this no, is, no, no. I'm just trying, trying to, to figure help. out what what I mean. I'm still <laughs> trying to diagnose what the best course of action to do with those plants is to get them sort of. There are autos back. that were from October first, so I don't think there's much time left on them. Honestly, I just say keep feeding low EC and then eventually drop it down to a flush. I mean, you're yeah, I'm going to eventually go dropping. to the flush. Like I'm planning on flushing soon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This one still smells they have enough meat on them that I mean, you could let them just starve out at this point. Like they're I not agree. quite quite ready, but you know, a week maybe more. That one like, looks fine. Really it's the other one that looks like it's just really starting to cannibalize it's itself. It's yeah, got the most leaves. It's got some immobile nutrient deficiency. I lean, you know, calcium is this suspect there. That I mean, why it's attacking the top of the plant looks so much better than the bottom of the plant. Um, yeah. Does anybody yeah, have to get running? I saw Brandon Russ, I think, has already jumped out. But um, mm-hmm. before 
I let uh, Potemponics go and do his walkthrough. I wanted to give anybody an opportunity if they do have to run. I know that we usually only, only go for two hours, so I don't want to keep you any uh, longer if you need to. So anybody, if uh, you need can't to. can't stay forever, but I'm curious to see Potemponics talk about the, the farm. Me too. Now, so. I'm glad that Steve's here, so I'll stay as well. All right. I can stay forever. It sounds like we're in for it. Uh, oil Tan Oil, do you have any more questions or are you uh, good to go That's on? That's his dry box. Oh, really? I'll just kind of just showing off the drying little box here that I made up quick. A little <laughs> EC meter. I think the airflow is going to come from the bottom. Get a fan <laughs> going through there. At I least like, like a small little like four inch, like a oh, desktop type. Computer, a desktop fan, exactly. Yeah, blow air into the bottom and come out the top. I think that's fine. Yeah, that'll be enough and then that with the ceiling fan still going i would let the ceiling fan circulate because that's kind of like what brandon was talking about earlier they're just kind of having like a passive airflow just having the air moving in well, the room but then you have the fan below it to right? be a little more active like that guy in the corner this guy running in Arizona. that right up in front of the box good. would be perfect I think. outside the box outside the box but like pointed into it so yeah, that, yeah, yeah 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 just, just don't, don't put it inside the box <laughs> Yeah, so where are you? Isn't like an Arizona desert area, right? No, I am South Ontario. Okay. It gets real wet and gross here. All right, so and yeah, the fan won't hurt. I think he said it was sixty-nine percent okay RH. Yeah, it gets okay F. Potent, do you yeah. want to pop your camera back on, and then you could give us a little walkthrough? Oh, you have no problems with the smell, also, yeah. There he is. Hey, hey. All right, got you spotlighted. And I will unspotlight. All right. Oops. So we got. Remove spotlight. There we go. Get all kinds of stuff here. These are all blueberries. You can see some of them stretched a little bit. Um, we had a bit of overcast for a couple of days. And we moved everything out here. But, uh, Everything else is doing great. This is a pheno hunt. These are just the stuff that we're checking right now. You know, we're uh, cloning everything up, seeing what's a boy, what's a girl. And then from here, we'll start to make some decisions on uh, on what to keep and what not to. So this is all mostly Western stuff. There's a little bit of Thai stuff here uh, near the end, which you can easily tell with what. Yeah. yeah the leaf width is uh, instantly that obvious. Giveaway. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> Looking, I mean, it looked like a different species of plant. It literally, and like, that's how they used to categorize it, you know? The broadleaf versus the narrow leaf was, like, Indica sativa back in the day was the distinction. So here's all the, all the Thai stuff, like, the lots of more wild Thai stuff. You can see it's got... Yeah, I want to I hear more about the seeds, those large seeds that you posted about. Oh, yeah, so I got, we have tons of cool seeds now. We've managed to network really well with the uh, can of Thai seeds and... Uh, and Mountain Burry Ramen Infamous Gardens and a bunch of other great people. And we'll be meeting up with more Thai growers in Chiang Mai. But I mean, you can see, look at the size of the leaf on this one. This one's a mutant though, so don't, don't count that one. But almost all of these Thai stuff have just massive leaves already, um, even though they're tiny. But we have such, such big variation in smells with the Thai stuff. We have um, one that smells like you took, imagine if you were sitting front row at Gallagher. And he had a whole layer of, of guava and a whole layer of peaches. And he just started smashing the table with his with his mallet. It smells that loud. <laughs> yeah, like, like the plant, I'll show you the plant that I'm talking about here, just so that you guys understand how crazy it's over here. These are all from Jordan of the Isle or from Infamous Gardens. But the one, the Siam syrups, these ones. These ones, even though they're that small, already I can smell, standing here right now, wow. it smells like guava. 
That's amazing. That's incredible. Uh, I love plants that smell and veg. My uh, F3 Velvet Punch are like grapey and gassy. Uh, maybe if Matthew comes over next time, he could see them. They're absolutely, I love it when they stink in veg. It's like shocking because you're not expecting a plant know, to smell right? like it's in flower when it's in veg. But mm-hmm. we got a lot of, so this is a tri node. So oh, yeah, that's a good example. See, very neat. Three nodes. I love those. Three nodes. Even when we topped it, it came out three nodes. So that's, that's super trippy. cool. Um, I think that's we cool. have some. We have a couple of mutants. There's this mutant here that just doesn't throw any branches. Did you have any of Tao's stuff? He was saying you might have some amyases over there. Oh, I do. We'll get to that. Um, we got this variegated. So that's a variegated plant. And you oh, can see here, distant as variation. it goes up the plant. Yeah, real variegation. That's what it's supposed to look like. Not a yes. <laughs> um, we got a bunch of cool stuff. And then down here, so these ones are interesting. So these are, well, here's the um, Gas Mac V Mac one or Vac, Mac two from Brennan Rust. I wanted to throw that on the screen too. Cheers, Brennan. Um, and then this is the Australian Bastard Cannabis Cross of Freak Show. And it didn't show either one. We have more scenes that we popped in this to try and find uh, some interesting phenos in it. That's um, Freaky Bastard, right? From Cannabis Seeds? Yep. And then we have a bunch of Freak Show crosses. This is a regular old Freak Show. He's like F11 did, right? Yep. Crazy man. Yeah, I think it'll be good for you guys of... in Thailand for sure, with the mildew and mold resistance and better airflow and things like that. Oh. But they've got lots of uh, land race and stuff over there that seem to do very well. I think the larger leaf on those Thai makes kind of sense because they're so thin. They have to photosynthesize, right? So it makes sense. It's gonna oh, be that's beautiful. Larger. Well, too much leaf and everything cooks here, so the you can grow yeah. these guys in full sun the, these guys do really well in southern climates or anywhere it's hot these the the, the freak shows are just going to kill it these are bo- um uh bomb show so this is thc bomb across the freak show shade cloth is, is is awesome in like southern california or it seems like same over there if you get too much sun shade cloth can actually make greenhouse or outdoor growing a lot more successful to preserve a lot of the or, or just make the plants grow more beneficially even like a diffused uh, light greenhouse, I think, can make it a lot less intense so the plants thrive a little bit more. There's one that self topped, so it just terminated in a leaf for whatever yeah. reason. And then the, the branches grew. <laughs> I got a second I've one like that. that over there as well. You got a, another freak show, tons of these different freak show crosses. Um, and then, so you can see this is That's the sister cool. of this one. <laughs> Nothing alike. Um, this is pretty wild. And then we have a bunch of red Lebanese puck and puck F3s. Uh, we have some dog liquors. This is another trinode plant. Are you implementing aquaponics in this uh, garden? Yeah. So in the back, uh, yeah, in the back here, uh, all the new construction will be connected to aquaponics. And then we'll eventually convert this to probably living soil beds just for the nursery. But maybe aquaponics. We'll see. Uh, this is all Rasta Jeff. So this is Inspector Royale, John Lemon. And, What's the deal uh, over there? Is it is it plant count? Is it canopy size? Like how do you uh, go about having no, just have a license? Have a license and have the property to put them on that you can fence them off in, and you're good to go. That's awesome. <laughs> I love to hear it. That's that's how it should be. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, like it's it's. I'm kind of, there's really I can't um, you know. Short of just seeing my dad now and then, there's not really a good reason to come back right now. I kind of have an unlimited play. I mean, I have this room and this room to play 
for pheno hunting for now. We flower out everything over there. And um, this is gonna be our breeding facility, which I'll show you here in a second. But there was one or two other plants I wanted to show. Oh, it reminds me of Breeder yeah. Steve, your uh, fellow potent ponics aficionado, uh, or I should say just aquaponics aficionado. He's had similarly like large and still does and in Colombia, giant grows fueled by aquaponics and doing massive pheno hunts of lots and lots of different seeds. So lots of respect to both of you, Steve's killing it. That's, that's, well, that's, true. that's how I ended up here actually is through him. Uh, we're good friends and uh, yeah, I was, he was looking for a grower and I was finishing up a project in Ada and check this one out. Talk oh. thunder. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I like wow. that. I've seen that. I love it. It almost has like, like no that. serration, but it, it has like just a tiny bit, but it's like smooth at the same time. This candy is candy slurry. 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 I love slurry cane crosses. They taste so good. Cyan syrup sounds cool too. Yeah. yeah. So that one was a result of a huge open pollination. They had like 50 or 60 different males and they crossed it with this one female because uh, of an accident that happened or someone moved plants around. And someone put females in the mail room of this one strain called Siam syrup. So that's what, so they they all got, each one smells. So one smells like cheese, one smells like peaches and guava. Like the main one is the peaches and, and guava, but there's a, like a mango funk cheese. And then there's like a funk, um, a funk guava. It's got like all three kind of things playing around in there. It's definitely the one I'm probably the most excited about at the moment. That sounds very so, exciting. Mean, is another is one of the other mutants. Mm. It's like bizarre, wow. like two tones. Yeah, just again when you when you're popping a thousand seeds at a time or whatever, you're gonna get some weird shit. Yeah, you get some weird stuff. What a dream, buddy! Congratulations, so my friends. <laughs> hold, hold on. Where was Amy? Oh, 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 oh! Sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say, how can we miss Amy? That's that that the whole tour. Dude. That's the highlight. How? <laughs> How is she sitting anyway? We got to prove she's really she's international. Good. She's, Amy's over here. Where is Amy? In this section somewhere. She can't be that uh, special if you can't see on, her already. On, whatever you are. No, hold on. You don't recognize then, her, Tom? I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah there's right. only a thousand come players on. there. We just come by her. Game. Yeah, do we, do we just pass her already? Oh, right here. Yeah. Dark Hollow, Sour D. I know it's in this section here. Hold on. They were some of the fastest growing early on. Uh, She's vigorous. It's one of these. Yeah. My right plants there. were yeah. massive. They filled out the whole tent. And uh, Smart Poker Hold had a on. big, beautiful Amy Aces, and so have many others. There we go. There's an Amy Aces. Uh, There's an Amy Aces. There's an Amy Aces. There's an Amy Aces. The Taiwanese oh, cousins yeah. of all the American Amy's. Another Amy Aces. Amy Aces. Not Amy Taiwanese. Aces, Amy Thailand. Aces, Amy Aces, Amy Aces. <laughs> all right. About 25 of them, so we'll, we'll get a good pheno hunt on this. Cool. Very cool. Thank you. That's really cool. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> gave, a couple to, I gave a couple of can of Thai and, and to Infamous, so I'm going to get a couple cool. of those. Good ones out to the good homies. We have a small little network now of good breeders and stuff where we've been sending exchanging pollen between each other and stuff. And there's a there's a good group of people that are trying to carry up the good torch, you know. Help seventeen. Back here, back here we have our pond. Well, I can lie. The gates open. This is going to be the four new greenhouses that we're starting construction on in two weeks. You can see they're just finishing leveling off the grade. 
Um, and then this is our pond. This is the first pond. There's another pond like this in the back, which I just, if I walk all the way out there, the phone will cook off. What part of Thailand are you in, if you're allowed to say? Sure. I'm in Pechabun province. I'm, I don't know, 40-ish, 35-ish kilometers south of the city of Pechabun in the rice fields. I mean, nope. you can see. <laughs> it's it's rice Is fields around us. In that pond, Cody? Oh, oh yeah, we have tilapia, there's tilapia, snakeheads, betas, there's a couple different minnow fish in there, there's catfish in there, there's turtles, it's all so kinds of shit. Because when the, when the fields flood, it's like a giant lake here, like we're on like an island. Yeah. So in there we have our nursery, this is our office slash dispensary, we can legally sell out of there. Are you elevated to the rest of the land around you? Is that how you're like a little yes. island? You're just physically above? Yeah, we're like eight feet above everything else. That's funny. That's like uh, just enough I to can get out you. of like the rice paddy. I'll show you. I mean, it's maybe not even eight feet, maybe like four or five. But I mean, that's the... Water will find its the level, though, lower. <laughs> that, that gets water down there. So. <laughs> maybe yeah. four or five feet above the actual field, the water level. Can I was elected to win all so this is a flowering project we're doing for seed. This is we're just processing all the plants right now. You can see we chopped the first couple yesterday. We'll be going through all the rest today. Pulling the seeds out and then hashing all the plants. So that's that. This was full and I thinned them all down to just these couple for breeding. So we had three really nice dosido -do males from the same line and then a bunch of really stinky Thai stuff um, that we kept. So those would be some good hybrid seeds. We'll, we'll make sure we get some of that available to you guys. And then we have our soil mixer. We mix up all of our soils and stuff here. All of the organic soil inputs, rice holes, and all the rest of the stuff. And this will be our breeding space. So we'll have seven breeding rooms across here. We'll have four flex rooms. Um, we'll probably use these two for breeding or drying. Uh, and then, or I'm sorry, these two for drying, the top four for drying, and then these two for uh, excess production or whatever the, whatever makes sense financially and clones or, or flour or drying or whatever so at the time so this is our, our big playpen and then we'll have a little this is going to get built out and enclosed and then we'll have a little testing lab and everything in here we'll have you back we'll on when a... when it's all finished up we'll definitely have to have you show us this is like the before and we'll have this as like our yeah. uh, date and time stamped we get to see what it was like now and It'll be cool to see it in a few weeks or months when things are yeah. a little bit uh, further along as far as the finishing up that development, seeing those new greenhouses, seeing all the plants further along, like the Amy Aces hunt and the rest of the stuff that you just showed off in the hunt in flower would be awesome. We definitely uh, have seen that with Dog Doctor and many others who've come on in the past. I love to uh, show off the gardens of the people in the community, and you've been gracious enough to have me on your shows in the past, and we're always happy to have you as a guest. It's uh, great to see you whenever you pop up in the chat. So this is the um, IPMO as well. So this has been really helping us keep the plants healthy and uh, keep the bugs away. This is the uh, same as IMO from KNF, except we put a third of a, the weight of the rice as uh, crickets or insect cross. Works really well. Is that what you kind of, it seems like you figured that out when you were in working in South Africa or somewhere in Africa with like the locust or something? You said you were spraying. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And then we have a regular IMO here. I don't know. It's in this one. Too many containers. Eh? I don't know. I don't know. It's like Canatai Seed's wife with all of her different little ferments. 
Oh, yeah. Then we have our brewers. They brew up everything in here with the pump and all. You can see a lot of our air stones tied up. So, trying Very to be nice. as organic as we can. So, but yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me show off. Uh, oh, it was doing? great to have you. This was yeah, honestly, uh, looks, a fun change great. of pace, and we really do look forward to having you back on in the future to see how things progress. We wish you nothing but the best, and I know that you're a really hard worker, and you've got a lot of experience with this, so I uh, have no doubt that it's going to be a great success for yourself, and you're going to be diligent and uh, do the things that need to be done to make sure that happens. So thank you for showing off the garden, and uh, where can the people find you? You guys can find me on uh, SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all the things on Growing With Fishes and That Smoke Show, D-A-T Smoke Show. Thank you so much for joining us. And next up, Dog Doctor. Sorry. Thank you. Dude, looks great. Congratulations, man. What what a dream you're doing there. Much respect. Keep it on. Uh, we'd like to thank the panel and the chat, of course, as part. And I hope you get fast, uh, get, get fast, get good fast as soon as possible, of course. Uh, thank you, Shot. You guys are great. Thank you for everything. And uh, I would like to to thank my sponsor, Aptos, the Nutrients, which uh, I really think that without Aptos Holland, my plants would not be as happy as they are, honestly. And uh, the breeders that have been sending me seeds, uh, Super Sativa Seed Clubs, Dutch Fashion, Gadget Fashion, and uh, Fast Buds. And with Fast Bud, I would like to shout out my buddy, Daga. Go definitely check him on Instagram. Without him, I would not be testing for uh, Fast Buds. And with this saying, thank you all. I'm Doc Doctor. You can find me as Doc Doctor officially in Instagram or as a Grow Diaries. Grows love to you all. Thank you very much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming. It was great to have you. And next up, we got Stairs at Plants. Thank you guys for having me. Um, you can find me over at growdiaries.com at Stairs at Plants. I don't post on IG. Or you can bump into me here on occasion. Uh, in the chat. Thanks again and uh, appreciate everyone's input. Thank you for coming on and showing off the garden. Always a pleasure to have you. Next up, we got Oil Town Oil. Hey, didn't expect we'd be doing any kind of closing statements or anything, but I'm glad you guys always have time to, to feature new growers like me. Uh, always happy to be showing off my garden. I'm glad. Um, I get to do that, and I'm hopefully I'll be a part of the New Year's Grow Challenge, but that might be too quick for a turnover for me, but we'll see. Thanks Where can again. The people find you? <laughs> Where can the people find you? Uh, I mean, you, you can find me on Instagram. I'll talk to you, but uh, I don't post anything on there. Not yet, anyway. But, uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Same name as here, Oil Town Oil Instagram. So, no worries. Yeah, the people like to link up, even if you don't post. Message if you want. Thanks again. Great having you. And I believe that is all of the guests for this week. So I'll pass it first to our regular panelist, to Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Well, thanks to all the guests that came in. I thought it was an interesting sort of review of different uh, setups. Um, really interesting to see potent ponics take us around the, you know, big pheno hunt. And um, everybody's grow. It's fun to follow along with through time, too. So thanks for that. And thanks for the interesting questions. I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Um, check us out. We're getting geared up for the New Year's Grow Challenge. So come sign up for the, the Grow Challenge and grow along with us on January 1st. And um, yeah, be back again next week. Grow love, everyone. Thank you, as always, for joining us, Doc. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you. Next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I really enjoyed this sort of refreshing uh, sort of difference. It was nice to see Steve and everyone else here. Um, uh, really enjoyed 
the 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 complexity of topics and we had some really cool conversations as well um, if you're interested for pest mitigation information you can check out my youtube channel xenthanol you can also find me at xenthanol.com for professional inquiries related to pest mitigation ipm that sort of a thing and also you can join my patreon for one dollar a month and uh, get direct access to me if you have questions you know occasionally i feel like that's a really good way um, uh, to support the YouTube channel, but also sort of get your questions answered quickly. And uh, yeah, it's Sync Angel on Instagram. Thank you, as always, for joining us and starting us off with that topic to get the show rolling and giving people the heads up about IPM because a lot of times people seek that information out for themselves. But as much as we can slip it in there and uh, inform our audience as possible, I think it'll make them better growers long term whether it's for their own garden or helping out their friends and family, whether uh, in person or all throughout the world, the international community of growing, you never know who you might save. And uh, saving somebody's garden, whether it's yours or somebody else's, is incredibly rewarding. So definitely make sure to be on top of your IPM and check out Matthew and all of his relevant channels. And last and certainly not least from the panel, we've got the American one. Well, first, thanks to Doc. Dog Doctor, Poponics, Stairs at Plants, Oil Town Oil for showing off their grows. And yeah, it's always good seeing the big uh, the big greenhouse full of plants, as well as the little tents full of plants. So yeah, it's always awesome. And uh, it was great discussion with different topics. I love that too. A whole bunch of different ones. Or if we go through a paper, I love it all. So shout out to everyone here and uh, everyone in chat. Good to see you. And I'm the American one. You guys mostly know where to find me on American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. And yeah, if, if you're looking for Amy, you could hit me up in the DMS or, uh, amyace.com. They'll get on the website eventually. He has them in hand. So it's just a matter of, uh, posting them up. So yeah, peace out, everyone. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the next. Cheers, the American one. Always a pleasure to have you. And I agree. It's great to see the uh, cannabis grown, whether it's in a giant greenhouse with thousands of plants or a tent with just a couple plants. I think as long as there's passion behind it, um, that's what matters. As long as people love the plant, as long as people are putting their 100% effort into it and trying to cultivate it the best way that they know how to get the highest quality product they know how, that's uh, ultimately what to me is the most satisfying at the end of the day. You could have a tent where somebody is doing it for the wrong reasons and maybe spraying nasty stuff on there and just trying to squeeze some profit out of it or a greenhouse where there's people that really don't care. They're going to work and they hate it. And I think it reflects in the final product oftentimes. So when you get that uh, dedicated craft group, whether it's a small tent grower or a nice greenhouse like Potent just showed off, it's uh, nice to be able to support people that are doing it right. And uh, shout out to everybody on tonight's show, the regular panelists and the guests. It was a pleasure to have all you. I don't want to start listing people off because I will forget somebody, but I will type all of your names and information in the comments or uh, little section below in the YouTube. And I'll include that in the uh, podcast for all the podcast platform listeners as well. So thank you all so much for joining us. You can find me at Jack Greenstock as shown on the screen for the YouTube people. Uh, that's where you can find me on Instagram as well as Cannabuzz. I'm Jack underscore Greenstock is my backup account there and on Twitter. And then if you want to email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. Lastly, uh, 50 Strains of Green is still available. I've got some paperbacks. I'll uh, sign it, pack it, and ship it out just like I did the other day for one of the listeners. And uh, still have those available. I've been working on finishing up 50 Strains of Purple, which will be on the same website, 50strains.com. Thank you all so much. This was a great night. I always love these Q&As. I feel like uh, it's our duty to sort of give back to the community and interface with you guys, try and answer as many of your questions as we can. You guys ask great questions. It gives us great content. Uh, I enjoy learning about 
the people's issues and things that they're struggling with in their gardens to make us all better growers. And uh, so thank you all, everybody who asked questions, everybody who showed up to listen uh, in the YouTube and the podcast afterwards. Very grateful for everybody. Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love y'all. Love everyone.